I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Are we going legal on this? Yeah, like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube and wherever you're listening to your podcast. We're not live, but you're listening to us. And here we are, Sam, continuing our season previews. It's the AFC and NFC West today. Back in the studio. We're back in the studio, back from our road trip mm-hmm. to Nashville. Did some stuff, ate some food, saw some football, talked about it a little bit on yesterday's podcast. Ate some hot chicken. Do you have hot chicken? I've had hot chicken. Mm. I did not have the hot chicken that you had or the type that you've had. Yeah. What Hattie happened? B's was recommended to us as the place we had to go. Um, and I just say, you know, you go in there and they've got like a scale of heat. You're like, well, I'm not going to go to the top one. That's probably silly. I'll go one down from the top one. I like hot stuff. So I got uh, damn hot, I think, was its description, which I later discovered in, in small print next to damn hot is written the term enthusiast only. I can understand that having sampled it. It was, in fact, damn hot, which wasn't that, unple- that unpleasant going in. It was more unpleasant coming out the next, the next morning. That's great. Mm. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Really glad we kicked off the podcast with that, Sam. Yeah. Um, we've got a lot to get through. We've got 15 minutes per team. Right? And news, yeah. And we've got, we do have some news. Some of it relates to the NFC West and the Cardinals. They did just trade. As we, as we went live, they All just it, traded really. Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. To the New York Giants and for then a seventh round pick. There's the news yesterday that Trey Lance is the number three. Sam That's Donald. news that will be co- incorporated into the NFC West discussion. Mm-hmm. And then there's other news. Yep. I never thought I'd say it. Future Hall of Famer Corey Davis has retired. He has. So are you at this point, this is a, you know, a, a crossroads, it's a fork in the road. Are you going to go down the road of saying, looks like I got that one wrong? Or are you aware that you've, the clock has just started five years? You have to construct a Hall of Fame case for, for the great Corey. Yeah, James. I mean, I'm, I'm a little torn that Corey has to steal, uh, share the stage with Tom Brady in right. five years in Canton. Yeah, and Ben, no, not Ben. But Tom maybe Brady. that'll help you. Uh, maybe that'll help. You know, you can get something in on the radar while everyone's focusing on Tom. We'll sneak, we'll sneak Corey in. Right. He did finish just 717 receptions short of my prediction of 1,000 career receptions. Yeah. 273 receptions, 3,879 yards, and 17 touchdowns. It's difficult to construct a Hall of Fame case. Four with or five that. playoff touchdowns in there, I believe. True. I mean, that's, so, that's a starting point, right? Right. We'll use the, well, you might use the playoff. The playoff stats, which mm-hmm. also aren't great. But, uh, yeah, I loved Corey Davis. Yeah. And it was a running gag here on the show because I had to make a bold prediction for that 2017 draft, and I predicted 1,000 catches for Corey Davis in a future Hall of Fame career. I mean, if you add his Western Michigan years in there, four of them, you get to about halfway towards where you thought he would end up. There we go. We could do that. We could add Western Michigan into his mm-hmm. Hall of Fame career all right well Corey Davis retires we might have more on that later but uh I was a little sad I also knew I mean he was a wide receiver too for the majority of his career and he was solid but uh that's it he's moving on weird timing no 
just made his fifty million. I think he just wanted to move on. Hmm. All right. Sometimes you got to learn new skills, and as a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family. How to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for every picky, even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions all in one easy online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl, M-E-E-T, fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policy is issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company. Not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, let's start in the NFC. Is that okay? Sure. NFC West, start with the Arizona Cardinals, who just traded Isaiah Simmons. So we're going, uh, we're going team by team here, as we've done on previous shows, previewing the year. Is there any team heading into the season with lower expectations <laughs> than the Arizona Cardinals? Well, somebody uh, pointed out to me this morning on the radio that Arizona, I think, might be the only team in the NFL now that we don't have a confirmed week one starter or quarterback for. Right? Yeah. Everyone it's, else is, it's up in the air still, Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon. Yeah, everybody else, I think, is is either determined or almost certainly determined. I don't think this, the Texans, have they named Stroud officially? But it's it's going to be Stroud, right? Yeah, I don't know if they've named him, but right. he's been the starter in the exactly. preseason. So everybody, that's the case. it's either official for everybody or might as well be official. The Cardinals is the one where I think that's still you know a battle between Colt McCoy and Clayton Toon. With Kyler Murray on the shelf. Yeah, it would be Kyler Murray, obviously, but he's hurt. And Clayton Toon, fifth-round pick, uh, okay, great so far in the preseason. But, yeah, it's between Clayton Toon and Colt McCoy. I mean, the reality for the Cardinals here in offseason where they've uh, they've traded DeAndre Hopkins, they just traded Isaiah Simmons after turning down his fifth-year option. We see last year they were 4-13, and projected for 6.6 wins. I'm a little surprised it's even that high, the PFF projection. Uh, but it already looks like... Look, the Cardinals, they were wheeling and dealing at draft time. They've got two first-round picks next year, of course, their own, plus the Houston Texans. It's a transitional year for Arizona, mostly because Kyler Murray's hurt. You know, because he got hurt in December last year, and we don't know when he's going to be back. In addition to just parts of the roster being in transition, it's a the front seven is just full of unknowns, including Dennis the Barbarian Gardeck. So he's in there. He's a known. But he's filled with, you know, oh, we know the next to all, all unknowns. So, uh, yeah, it's tough to project Arizona for more than just a few wins. But that's okay. You just got to know what you're getting into if you're a Cardinals fan, right? Yeah, it's fairly rough looking in a lot of places, this roster. Um, even where they have either name recognition or some theoretical strength, it's very young. Like that, that receiving core top to bottom, it's not bad. Marquise Brown, the sort of one, you know, alpha wide receiver Michael Wilson the Stanford rookie looks like he's going to be the other starter I think he's a really uh, potentially impressive player even right out of the gate Rondell Moore is now their kind of primary slot guy Greg Dortch behind him has shown some ability Trey McBride at tight end is somebody that had insane potential coming out was a slow starter as a rookie Zach Ertz is is now back 
uh, and the backfield, you know, James Conner, that's a good group. Uh, it may be young and unproven, but kind of like if you like Green Bay's, you know, I think there's reason to like this group as well. The problem is Kyler Murray, the quarterback that's supposed to be getting them the ball, is hurt at the moment. And, you know, the options outside of that are Colt McCoy or a low-round rookie in Clayton Toon. And the offensive line might not be great because it's a group of tackles and then problems inside. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on the group of playmakers there that you laid out and some of the intrigue there. The offensive line situation that you're talking about, we've said a bunch of times on the podcast here, DJ Humphreys is locked in as the left tackle, making about $17 million a year. They just draft Paris Johnson at number six overall. He's slated probably to play right tackle this year. They brought Kelvin Beecham back, who's been a very solid right tackle. You know, he's that guy, that tackle that I was telling every team to sign back during free agency if you want to get uh, production on the cheap. Um, Beecham slated to be a backup. And then the great Josh Jones, who had an excellent season last year as they moved him back to tackle. So Arizona does have uh, plenty of tackles. Um, Josh Jones has struggled at guard, so he's probably not going to kick back inside. Beecham is a tackle only. Um, so, yeah, right now, Yeldy Froholt, unproven center. Will Hernandez coming off his best season. Elijah Wilkinson, uh, Wilkinson probably slated to play guard. It's not a great offensive line, but certainly the, the strength is a tackle. As of right now, Josh Jones still on the team. I don't even know if Arizona's shopping him. It just seems like a, he's got one, le- one year left on his deal, and he was playing good football. Last year at left tackle, this year during, at left and right tackle in the preseason, Kelvin Beecham for some of those tackle-needy teams around the league, for Arizona, who should just continue to accumulate draft picks, it kind of makes sense to maybe shop those guys. Yeah, I mean... It, that was it, a weird way to end the sentence. I, right. I, I, it, it was a cliffhanger finish to the sentence. I don't normally do that, but I did, but I was throwing it back to you. Mm, I got that at the end. Okay, cool. A bit, a bit late, you know, long enough that, that maybe... There was I just wanted to explain. There. I wanted to explain the awkward pause. That got was completely it. my fault. Yeah. Um, no, like they have essentially four capable starting tackles right now, theoretically, assuming Paris Johnson, the rookie, can come in and be okay. So <laughs> obviously there's only two spots for those guys. So you either carry two of them as backups, uh, which is everyone wants a swing tackle. Most people don't want two. Um, so it's a very strange spot. Like you would, I would imagine they would be trying to trade Josh Jones. I can't really understand why that hasn't happened yet already given what he's shown when he's been playing left tackle and the potential need at left tackle for certain teams out there um but as of yet that's where the strength of this offensive line lies and it it should be pretty good at on the bookends on the tackles it's the interior that looks problematic um which is a probably a bigger issue for arizona than it would be for other teams because if kyler murray is your quarterback ideally you would like the interior as strong as humanly possible he doesn't necessarily work the middle of the field particularly well anyway, and that's not going to be improved by having, you know, weak links on the interior. Like if you had, if, if your three interior players were all pros, maybe his working in the middle of the field might improve a little bit. It's certainly likely to move the needle. Um, but then you get, I mean, you know, the offense is going to be, who knows what it'll look like because we don't even know who the starting quarterback will be, but probably not great. And then the defense is where on paper it looks really rough. Yeah, so again, I, somebody go trade for Josh Jones. Go get him. Let's talk defense now for Arizona. Um, last year at this time, it was kind of J.J. Watt and friends. Mm. Watt has since retired, and his friends are still young and unproven. So you've got a, a lot of L.J. Collier, Jonathan Ledbetter, Lucky Foto, 
Carlos Watkins, Richard Lawrence, no real established names there. They're all guys that have been rotational players throughout their career. Uh, linebacker is kind of the same thing. The other interesting move at linebacker is Zaven Collins, the former first-round pick, a, a linebacker who's moving to edge rusher. Um, I try to reiterate this so many times. No, even though a 3-4 outside linebacker is called a linebacker, they're not a linebacker. They're a pass rusher. They're going to they have edge they're, they're, that's why we call that's why we started edge defender here, right? It's a 3-4 rush backer and a 4-3 defensive end essentially have the same role. Um, so moving a player from off-ball linebacker to a pass rush role where you have to go win one-on-one. It's not blitzes, you have to go win one-on-one. It is it is a rare move. Micah Parsons has done it. But you could probably argue maybe Micah Parsons was out of position playing linebacker originally. Right. Uh, Zayvon Collins has an edge defender body type. I yeah. have no idea if you can rely on him as a 30 pass rush a game type of guy. But it's Zayvon Collins. and a couple, I kind of like some of the young players. Cameron Thomas played well in limited time last year. Majai Sanders, B.J. Ojolari comes in. But on these preview shows every year, when you have a team that's clearly rebuilding, what I say is, this year is about finding the guys that are part of the rebuild. So edge defender is something I'll be watching for Arizona. Does Zayvon Collins take to the new role? Does it Cameron Thomas, Myjai Sanders, B.J. Ojolari? Which of those guys steps up and is now Arizona saying, okay, these are the guys we can trust going forward as we start to rebuild this roster? The concerning thing about Zayvon Collins being moved to the edge is he's never really played there before. Um, he's even... Even when he rushed the passer, he didn't do that particularly often um, in college. He didn't blitz that often. Like, this is not a guy who's shown, you know, if you were taking a Dante Hightower, say, you know, a guy who's shown a fairly extensive history of winning as a pass rusher, albeit in different circumstances, you know, largely on the blitz against backs or tight ends or coming up the middle, those kinds of things, you could at least, there's a fairly large body of work to say this could project to the edge. Zayvon Collins really hasn't done that much at all at any level. So it's a massive projection to say, well, just because he looks like he's an edge rusher, we can move him there and he'll be good at that. Like, edge rushing, there's a technique to it. There's skill involved. Like, we don't know that he can do any of that yet. Um, And this is, okay, it's a different regime doing it. But Arizona now has this history in recent years of taking unusual body types on defense and trying to shoehorn them into the position that it looks like they should play because of their body type instead of just taking the player and asking what does he do really well right now regardless of what he looks like and getting him to do that. And so Zayvon Collins is like a 260-pound off-the-ball linebacker. But because he's 260 pounds and looks like an edge rusher, we're now going to move him to the edge. Um, Hassan Reddick was like a 240-pound edge rusher but because he looked like an off-the-ball linebacker, we tried to move him off the ball, and he was bad at that before eventually putting him back where he belonged. Isaiah Simmons was a 245-pound, 250-pound defensive back, but because he looked like an off-the-ball linebacker, we're going to move him to linebacker and see how that goes. Like, just stop messing with guys when they do something pretty well. And Zayvon Collins, like rookie year, was really good against the run. His run fits were excellent. He was able to attack guards and backs and blockers with the, you know, the correct technique and make some plays. And okay, he hasn't necessarily kicked on, but I'd be pretty concerned about putting him on the edge and expecting him to be an impact player there. Yeah, the, the couple of 2022 second and third round picks, Cameron Thomas, MyJ Sanders, those are the uh, both third round picks, sorry. Those are the guys I would be right. looking to there. Um, let's just touch on Isaiah Simmons really quickly. You know, he comes in, he came out of Clemson. He looked like uh, the player. 
uh, the Chargers. Kind of similar. Similar to the number three, the player number three mm. on the Chargers, who could play anywhere. Um, hasn't really been the case. Simmons struggled early as, a, as an off-the-ball linebacker, but he was just fascinating because he had a long, lean linebacker type of body but played true free safety at times at Clemson yeah. and made free safety types of plays. And now last year he found a home in the slot in Arizona. He's a pretty good blitzer. That's why going to Wink Martindale and the Giants, intriguing for Simmons, who's a – again, there's a difference between being just an explosive blitzer and a pass rusher who's going to go, you know – win against tackles. Simmons is a good blitzer going to a blitz-heavy scheme. Intriguing there. But Simmons did a nice job on the slot last year. This year they had been trying him back at free safety. I think coming out we thought he was more of a Cam Chancellor strong safety. Not that not a heavy hitter like that necessarily, but that you want to play him in the box right. but not give him full linebacker responsibility. We'll see what happens. But either way, they tried a bunch of stuff in Arizona. Didn't really work out. They get a 2024 seventh-round pick. For Simmons, and I again, I just wonder if that if that'll open the door for more trades and Arizona just continuing to turn over this roster. Yeah, I'm I'm really interested to see. I mean, wrong division, but I'm curious what the Giants do with him. Like, what Wink Martindale's plan is for him. I mean, look, a seventh round pick suggests it might not be much. You might you don't need a specific. It's just like bring this exactly talented dude in here and see what we can do with seventh round pick. It's like let's just roll the dice and see what I can do with this athlete. Um, But if they do have a specific plan, I mean, the Giants theoretically have two starting safeties already so there might not be a spot for him there they their bigger weakness i think is that linebacker maybe you want to put him in the slot and give him that kind of um kyle hamilton role from baltimore you know where he plays that sort of safety slot hybrid that's starting to exist more and more in the nfl but i think from his arizona career you should be taking the lesson that this guy was a defensive back albeit a college version where you know the roles aren't necessarily the same um was bad at linebacker and then started to look better when you moved him back to defensive back. So I, that feels like that's where his future should be. All right, let's go through the, the cornerback room here quickly. And last year this was an issue too. Arizona, let's not forget, 2020 it was, right, where they were undefeated up until – oh, 21. Undefeated up until week eight. Right. Right? They were the last undefeated team that year, right? Yeah. And they just and – and they have just slowly fallen apart since then – and even that year, it felt like, yeah, they all kind of overachieved in the secondary. Mm. And other than Buda Baker, they continued to not really replenish the secondary. Keytrell Clark, as a rookie, maybe slated to start there, opposite Marco Wilson. Yeah. Bobby Price, Christian Matthew, Garrett Williams is a rookie that's coming off an of injury from Syracuse. But you don't have, like, do any of our listeners know any of those players? You know, not that that's the standard, but unproven is the story of the Arizona Cardinals on both sides of the ball, mostly on defense this year, though. So, um, Could you just drag in our listeners like that? No, our listeners know. Our listeners know all those guys. Hmm. They know Keytrell Clark. He just, just got drafted out of Louisville, hmm. right? So they all know that. Marco Wilson, former Gator. Go Gators. Garrett Williams not, not properly back yet with his injury? No, like he's, not yet. He's the, he was a higher draft pick, but yeah. is starting behind the eight ball because of the injury. So – the intrigue for the Cardinals, I think, is watching the youth. I do love that. Watch the, watch the young players. Who's a part of the rebuild? When does Kyler Murray come back this year? But by all accounts, it looks like an, an odd – it's an odd time to have a rebuilding year because Kyler Murray's, you know, right in the prime of his career. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people have already said, well, this is the team that should be picking number one overall next year. We'll see. Jonathan Gannon's the new head coach, too. We don't know if he's this guy that's just going to sneak a few wins there because he'll be a good coach like – uh, Brian Dayball was with the Giants, but 
by all accounts, it looks like the Cardinals are probably going to be drafting high next year. And, and they have Houston's pick. And they have Houston's pick, so they're rooting against the Texans all year. And so that'll, it'll be interesting for Arizona just to see the youth movement, but I'm not expecting a lot of wins. So No, and it's, it's strange because it is really a year, like a, a free year. They're not expected to win. They're expected to be bad. They, they have draft picks, extra draft picks next year in Houston, um, in Houston's and then, you know, their own, which will be high. They, they don't have any reason to do well this year. Um, so it's an interesting year where you might as well throw a guy like Clayton Toon out there for however many games it's going to be yeah. and see what he has. Because uh, if he has nothing, cool. All it did is move you closer to the number one overall pick anyway. And then I'm also really intrigued to see how soon Kyla Murray does get back on the field because it's a different sports, but we're in this world right now where there's a spate of really, really fast like ACL recoveries. Um, a guy, the South African rugby captain, right? World Cup's about to start. Dude, this man got back in the field 119 days after tearing his ACL. Wow. He did April the 22nd, and he played a game last week. And there's a couple of those recently. Like Kyler Murray, I think we all assumed because he got injured so okay, late. that's a good anecdote. That's crazy. Right. Yeah. Murray, I think, because we all assumed, you know, he got late, injured so late in the season and the Cardinals are expected to be bad. We're, he might not show, get, get back at all, right? We might not even see him this year. I mean, he might, not, he might be back in, like, late September. He might only miss a few games. Well, that changes the projection. Over-unders, four and a half for the Arizona Cardinals. Where would you land on that? It's pretty hard to get under four and a half. 17-game schedule, yeah. reminder. So let's go over that. We're going to go over on everything again? No, just this one to start with. I, I, I'll just go under just to mix it up here because um, I, I do think Arizona will be the get the number one overall pick. But, yeah, if Kyler Murray comes back or if Clayton Toon balls out, you know, that could, uh, could throw a wrench in things. Remember the, uh, the great Jerry Rice once recovered from an ACL in season. He tore his ACL week one and was back for the playoffs, I think. It's ridiculous. How do you do that? I mean, you're Jerry Rice. Shohei Otani tore his uh, UCL. Very sad. He was back for the final game of the season, so he did it within the 16 games. You're over there all new technology. Well, Jerry had that 20 years ago. 97. Yeah. That was the old Jerry. Over 20 years ago. It wasn't even like fresh, you know, 20s youthful Jerry. That was old and busted Jerry, at least, you know, 15 years away from the end of his career. Falco? I, this season, oh, no, I, uh, I, I would like to I didn't say delete that delete from that from comments. the record I'm not going to accuse Ray Lewis and Jerry Rice in the same calendar year mm. thank you this season DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history right now you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over 10 million dollars in guaranteed cash prizes make your entry into the draft today sit back relax and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster waiver wires or anything else to start playing best ball download the DraftKings app using code PFF enter DraftKings best ball millionaire contest and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades, no, I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season, they'll, they'll have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF to start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com uh, for details. Just .com. Los Angeles Rams. What a fascinating team. I know I say fascinating and interesting a lot, but there's a lot of intrigue here. I thought two years ago, <laughs> one of the most intriguing stories was Matthew Stafford in, in, 
in Los Angeles, not St. Louis, hmm. with the Rams. And they go and win the Super Bowl. Now, there's still some intrigue around the Rams because it's Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, and friends. And the friends are very, very young. Yeah. It's all rookies. So it's like a little different from what we just described in Arizona. Is it on paper a rebuilding year for, for the Rams? Absolutely. But they don't have their starting quarterback injured. We yeah. actually have, by all reports, a fresh Matthew Stafford, maybe the healthiest Matthew Stafford in years, including the Super Bowl year where he was very good in 2021. And so you've got these stars, Stafford, Cup, Aaron Donald. In, in like the defensive depth chart, it looks like you dropped Aaron Donald on the senior bowl team. <laughs> That's just what it looks like. That's just the reality. There's a couple other guys there, but it's, again, unknowns. I'm not saying these guys won't be good, but I've never seen a team so reliant on first and second year players like the Rams. So they're going to, you know, if they're going to compete in a weak NFC, they, it's, it's stars and scrubs at an extreme level here for the Rams. It's fa- I mean, the defenses for both the Rams and the Cardinals are incredible. Like you put those on paper next to each other and th- these two defenses exist at the same time in the same division. Like Those are two of the worst looking defenses you're ever going to see on paper. Um, only one of them has Aaron Donald on it as well. But yeah, it, it's an insane team of youth there. They've added it looked even worse. I mean, they've added Akella Witherspoon and John uh, Johnson. Back yeah, they to sprinkled the team. in some vets there for sure. But like, you don't have to go back far before those two guys weren't on the team either, and it looks even more barren um, and and bereft of talent. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be inter- a fascinating season to see how much impact Aaron Donald can individually make because there's nobody taking attention away from. Him. Remember, like in years past, it's been okay. This is a reasonable defense. You got Aaron Donald now. How mu- how well? can a guy like Dante Fowler play because Aaron Donald is going to be taking all the attention and giving him all the cleanup pressures. I mean, there's nobody that can, that, that's, uh, that's looking like, like who is the Dante Fowler in this defense right now? Michael Hoyt, the, the rookie, you know, Byron Young. It's like, maybe, but it's a total shot in the dark. Who's going to be that guy? Yeah, so let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Stafford back, and then what happened last year? We saw it right from week one. They go up against the Bills. The the Rams are defending Super Bowl champs. They get the home game to kick off the season, and the Bills, are they just have Stafford under pressure the entire night, and it that may have been the pinnacle of their offensive line play last year. It continued to get worse. A lot of it was injury-related. So this year, look, they got to stay healthy, first of all, but even if they do – Who's proven on that offensive line? Rob Havenstein at right tackle. That's it as far as proven. Uh, Steve Avila comes in as a second-round pick, probably slated to start at left guard. Joe Noteboom, he showed flashes down the stretch in 21, gets paid before the 22 season, gets beat up against good rushers, and then gets hurt. And this year they've been moving him from left tackle to right guard in camp, moving him around. So even left tackle is a big question mark. If it's Noteboom, if it's Alaric Jackson – uh, so, look, the O-line could be better because we're assuming they won't have as many injuries as they did last year, but it also doesn't mean that these guys will get the job done because, again, it's it's young and you know players who haven't done it at the NFL level. Yeah, I, I mean, I honestly think the Rams and the Cardinals are very similar in terms of roster construction right now. Um, both defenses look absolutely bereft of talent, only the Rams have Donald. Uh, but the offenses are, I think, fairly similarly constructed as well, except the quarterback is healthy for the Rams. But you look at it's it's the same thing as we were saying about Arizona, which is the receiving core is intriguing because you have Cooper Cup, 
Um, you've got Tyler Higby. You've got some talent there, some proven talent. And then you've got more unproven sort of long shot uh, bit pieces like Tutu Atwell, Van Jefferson, Ben Skoranek, who's, you know, moonlights at fullback and all the stuff they do with him. The backfield is a little bit less impressive for the Rams than it is for Arizona. But then the big concern or question mark is on the offensive line, which for the Rams has proven during the Sean McVay era to be a massively influential driver when determining how good the offense is going to be. When the offensive line has been strong, this looks like the best offense in the NFL. When it, when it even goes to average, it becomes problematic looking. And when it looks bad, this offense doesn't function anymore. And right now on paper, this line looks bad. Yeah, so that's that's going to be the interesting part, I think, for the Rams. Um, you know, if Cooper Cup is back and healthy with Stafford, they had such an incredible connection throughout that entire 21 season. I'll expect I expect the production there. See if the Rams get anything out of Tutu Atwell, the great Puka Nakua, turning heads. The great as a rookie, so I think he'll get plenty of opportunities. And then the defensive side of the ball, like we said, it's Aaron Donald and company. Uh, Ernest Jones has stepped up. Uh, you know, he was a really nice addition during the Super Bowl run as a third-round rookie. So he's he's like the veteran of the back seven here. Um, and as you mentioned, John Johnson comes back. Uh, interesting career for John Johnson, who had three out of four really productive years for the Rams, just never really panned out uh, with the Browns. But he comes back. Uh, Jordan Fuller is now a veteran. You know, it's these a lot of third and fourth-year players are now called the veterans here mm. for the Rams. But I'm intrigued where all of these. <laughs> Rookies fit in. Byron Young is an edge rusher who you mentioned. Nick Hampton, a guy that we liked coming out. Kobe Turner, who I really wanted to see this preseason, kind of struggled a little bit hit to hit the ground running out of Wake Forest. I'm, I want to see where these young players all fit in here, but I think there's going to be some growing pains for the Rams. Yeah. The other thing I mentioned in the preseason recap, when you have so many young players and it's so tough to rep special teams, let me, t- let me touch on special teams really quick. You noted special teams. Special expert. teams enthusiast here. Mm. Could see some special teams breakdowns. <laughs> Punt coverage, kick coverage. You know, again, when you you're building a you're building a team just trying to figure out what you have and which young players are in there. I mean, that's gonna be a challenge for them. Just just keeping special teams in order from a you know coverage team pers- perspective. So that's just something else to keep an eye on. Um, Trey Tomlinson, we've loved yeah. in the draft process and during during the preseason here, we mentioned on last show or two shows ago, small guy, outside corner at TCU, has a slot body type, but he's played outside for the Rams, so it'll be intriguing to see what he does. The other corners that they've drafted the last couple of years, Robert Rochelle, Kobe Durant, they've been in and out of the lineup, contributed here and there. They were just athletic prospects from small schools. be interesting to see their development, so... I mean, if you're like into the draft and player development and everything, the Rams are fun to watch. If, yeah. you're, if you're just every week saying, hey, is this team going to win the Super Bowl? I'm not seeing it. But if you're into the player development aspect, some fascinating prospects to watch for the Rams. It's a really fun team because they have almost nobody there to keep players, to keep rookies off the field. And they had a ton of draft picks. You know, they did the same thing they always do, which is trade away the important picks and then pick an absolute ton in the draft. So they ended up coming away with an absolute boatload of rookies, and I loved a lot of the players they brought in this year. I mean, I remember I was texting Zach during the draft, being like, "Guy, ah, you got another guy I love," you know, like listing them all. So you know, when you look at some of the rookies that they've got, I mean, presumably Stetson Bennett isn't going to play a quarterback, but 
you know, Puka Nakua, who you've been talking about, um, Byron Young, one edge rusher, Nick Hampton, another edge rusher, um, the Trey Tomlinson, who we talked about at cornerback, Kobe Turner on the defensive line. Like, they have a ton of players that are probably going to play quite a lot. And if multiple of those guys ends up showing something right away, you know, th- those are the kinds of drafts that can change the course of franchises, only typically it's with more design and higher draft picks. But if they're able to do it simply because there's nobody there to stop these guys from being on the field and they hit on, you know, three or four of those guys, that does change things. It is. It's the complete opposite feeling in most Rams seasons, though, where it, the last few years where they were in go-for-it mode and were trading for Von Miller in the middle of the year. Even last year, when the Rams were not that good, by the trade deadline, they were still ready to fork over a couple first-rounders for Brian Burns from Carolina. Like right. That is in their DNA to go for it right now. And now this year, the, the story around the Rams is, let's see how these young players are. And if they're good... Wait till they're in years two and three, and and maybe it's a it is a full rebuild with the Rams with a couple of stars around it. It's also worth pointing out that you know we've said this for other teams when you have to rely on a large volume of young players, the median outcome there is bad. <laughs> so as much as I like a lot of the rookies that they drafted, and I'm therefore sounding more optimistic about the outlook, the chances are most of those players are going to stink because that's just the reality of mid to low round draft picks in the NFL. Um, but, you know, maybe they do buck the odds and three or four of those guys, as opposed to one, say, ends up showing well, in which case that is a, a potentially transformative draft. Do you think there's a chance, let's wrap it up with this, if, the, if things don't go well for the Rams? Because, look, with so many question marks on the roster, it's going to be a challenge for Stafford and Cup and Donald for, for the Stars to carry this squad. Does Aaron Donald get traded at some point? Uh, I don't So that's going to come down to what does Aaron Donald want? Like Aaron he's, Donald is... He's old. been teasing retirement. Yeah, so that's the thing, right? But if he's sitting there and the Rams are 2-4, and 2-5, and five, and trade, de- trade deadline's coming up, and yeah. Donald can go to team should be on Buffalo the phone. or whatever. Yeah, team should be on the phone, but it's a case of like, like if Donald is a one-year rental, probably not. If a team thinks they can get three more years out of Aaron Donald, sure, why not? I think the one-year rental might be interesting. I'm also interested, by for the Donald. way, in for just, Donald. In just what it. he's going to do this year. Like, people were writing him off after last year, the first injury the guy's ever had in the NFL, and, you know, a season that didn't look like Aaron Donald generally. In terms of statistically, I think he still looked like Aaron Donald when you go and actually look at the tape and watch the games. But statistically, for the first time, he didn't look like Aaron Donald. And it coincided with Chris Jones getting as close to Aaron Donald as anybody since J.J. Watt in terms of performance and production. So now, like, he was, what, 11th on the NFL players list of top 100 players in the league? Yeah, the players are stupid sometimes. Cool. Um, There's no way any guard voted for him at 11. I would hope Or lower. Right. I would hope that nobody that actually has to block Aaron Donald put him anywhere near 11. Anyway, point being... Sure, at 32 and first injury, you start to look for signs of decline. Having said that, it wouldn't shock me if Donald came back this year and just got back to being Aaron Donald, which is the single most destructive player in the NFL over the last 10 years. All right, over-under for the Rams is 6.5. Where are you going, Sam? Under. I think this offensive line is going to be a train wreck, at which point the offense will be a train wreck. Is Stafford going to stay healthy the whole year? I'll say under. General Manager Stafford? 
GM Stafford. Yeah, he was the GM of our uh, your hotel. Matthew Stafford is apparently the general manager of the Home Two Suites in Nashville. So he's getting a getting is a head start. The on Matthew the, Stafford getting a head start on the the post playing career. Almost certainly has to be the Matthew Stafford. Why, right? uh, why wouldn't it, it be? All right, next up, San Francisco 49ers, currently in the news. Yeah. Trey Lance has been demoted as to QB3, as predicted, as expected. Nailed. Trey Lance is now QB3, and uh, the Niners are exploring all options. Yeah. I feel so, sorry for Trey Lance. Like, he's, at the, he's currently on pace to go down as a colossal draft bust, and it's not really his fault. Like, he, we knew – at draft time that he was a staggeringly inexperienced quarterback like historically inexperienced um and we're in a world now where every time you and i go to practice you know go to a team's training camp or a team's practice the, one of the things that jumps out is just how few reps there are to go around period let alone for a backup or a number three so you're you're sort of left wondering how does this guy get better and the only way for him to get better is to play and this is the situation that the colts are dealing with with anthony richardson he needs to be on the field you can't sit him for a year because he needs to see defenses he needs to see rotating coverages he needs to see the way nfl teams can disguise things he needs to see that because he hasn't yet because he's so inexperienced richardson's going to get that shot you know he was drafted high there's no real threat to his gig Lance got hurt. He was supposed to get that shot last year, and then he got hurt, and he got Wally pipped by Brock Purdy, and now he's in a he's trapped in a world where there's no pathway to that playing time because the 49ers can't give it to him because he doesn't look good, he, and no one else is going to give it to him because he doesn't look good. So he's trapped in this hideous catch twenty two where the only way he's going to get better is by playing, but he looks so bad right now that nobody can play him. Should have stayed in school, huh? I mean, you can definitely make that argument. He was in the same uh, recruiting class as DTR, Dorian Thompson Robinson. I know, you'd go viral with all and your tweets. what's his name, compare. Tanner Mordecai? Tanner Mordecai, yeah. Who's still in college. Wisconsin legend. Yeah. Just transferred to Wisconsin. Right. Yeah, I mean, is anybody, is there any team that makes sense here? I know Vikings fans have been talking a lot about Trey Lance this offseason. You know, does he go to a team like the Ravens where he backs up Lamar Jackson? Does he go to a team like the Eagles where he could back up Jalen Hurts. The problem is, I don't know how many teams even want him as the backup at the moment. Like, who would, how many teams can you think of where Trey Lance would be the primary backup right now? Yeah. And look, it, this is a tricky one, too. I think I mentioned it on the ride back. We always talk about Kyle Shanahan as this cheat code and everything. And that's for a lot of quarterbacks. I don't think it means that if, man, if Kyle Shanahan couldn't get the most out of Trey Lance, that he's doomed right. elsewhere. I think there was. You know, pass game wise, there was probably not a fit there. And I'm every time I mentioned Kyle Shanahan and Trey Lance, I thought, okay, the the key here is going to be the run game. And I don't think we ever really got to see that in full effect. Or or even Kyle Shanahan want to fully dedicate to that around. You know, Trey Lance is going to run the ball twelve to fifteen times a game, and then the pass game will become easier. Lance just wasn't good in Shanahan's system. Yeah. Doesn't mean he can't be good in other systems, but you're right. I mean, I mean to answer also, your question, I don't know anywhere around the league where people are raising their hand like, I need Trey Lance as my right. backup right now. Also doesn't mean that he wouldn't have gotten better in Shanahan's offense, you know, had he made it through all last season sure. and gone through a year. Like, if he played we all of last season. We don't see the you're right. If he played all of last season without getting hurt, he would have doubled his career dropbacks, essentially. You know, more or less, whatever. Like, he would have literally doubled his experience 
with a full starting season last season for San Francisco. So, like, that's the kind of difference in experience. But you start listing teams where it would sort of make some sense for him to go. Like, Minnesota, would they want him as their primary back over Nick Mullins? Maybe. Um, the Giants I've seen kicked around because Daniel Jones, we don't quite know what he is yet. Like, Tyrod Taylor is their backup. You don't, like, Tyrod Taylor is a better quarterback right now than Trey Lance. Atlanta, Taylor Heineke is a better backup quarterback right now. Um, Washington, in case Sam Howell stinks. Uh, Jacoby Brissett. Jacoby Brissett is a better backup quarterback. Like, uh, Justin Fields in Chicago. P.J. Walker is probably a better – like, all of these guys, you're saying, well, not only do you need a team where the the starter either might be on shaky ground or could get hurt, you also need one of those teams where the backup stinks. New England, maybe. Like, Bailey Zappi – okay, Bailey Zappi is a better backup than him right now, I think, but – if Mac Jones gets hurt or pulled, I can see a world where Bailey Zappi plays himself to the bench after four games. Like, that's the kind of scenario Trey Lance needs to get any kind of playing time. Well, I think Trey Lance was always drafted with the – he's got a good arm, big-time throw ability, and he can run. Was a project from an accuracy standpoint. His accuracy was well below the standard of every other quarterback in that draft class. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, and Mac Jones. Accuracy was always a tick below those guys, and he just never – Hasn't developed yet, and he hasn't really had the opportunity. So I think it's an intriguing buy low for some of those teams that you mentioned just to see. Um, it is a 49ers preview, so we need to focus on them. You know QB- what he really yeah. needs, tragically? What? He needs like a year to or go two. The, the XFL. Or in the USFL. USFL or the XFL. Like that's genuinely what he needs. Go play at one of these leagues for a year or two and, ha- and double, triple your starting experience, your throwing experience, and then re-sign for somebody and come back and try and do it again. Just because the reps aren't there. Yeah. Yeah, it's not that crazy, although we were sitting here a couple weeks ago saying, should we give him every rep in the preseason behind a second-tier offensive line? And right. That's, we then that's the world of the USFL and <clears throat> XFL. Yeah, sort of, except it's also against those people as well. No, I get it. I understand. Um, so the Niners are going to have Brock. They're rolling with Brock Purdy. Yep. And uh, Sam Darnold's the backup. Purdy's coming off the elbow injury. Should be good to go. He's been you know, playing a little bit in the preseason. Last year, 13-4, and four, projected at 8.8 wins here. Uh, Purdy, I posted some stats the other day just for perspective. You know, high 70s grade last year. He was good, but the, the production was off the charts, right? It's always, uh, you know, second or third in EPA per play, second in yards per attempt. Uh, we always give the credit to Kyle Shanahan and those playmakers. I think that's fair because there's a history of the Matt Schaubs of the world, Matt Ryan going to MVP, Jimmy Garoppolo having some of the best stats of all time. And, you know, I think that's Shanahan. So, But Purdy added that little extra element last year, made yeah. a few plays out, outside of structure. He added – it was like Jimmy G plus. He still threw the ball to the defense and got away with it at times. But Purdy was kind of Jimmy G plus last year. And if you get that again – the Niners might be going to the NFC Championship again. Yeah, he did clearly add value on top of the Shanahan offense, which is critical. Like, at the moment, Trey Lance is sort of undermining and actually taking value away from the Shanahan offense. Purdy was taking what was there, which is the number one thing for a Shanahan quarterback, and then he was adding some plays that weren't there before with those extended plays, with those late-in-the-down plays. Um, and that those simply aren't on the table anymore for a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, if they ever were. And that's where he starts to improve on a guy like uh, Garoppolo. Like, if you look for his entire career, including the preseason, the postseason, everything for Brock Purdy, um, on plays where he was pressured, 
he's got five touchdowns, one interception. Like he's able to make these plays that that weren't being made, which is why the stats were part of the reason the stats look so much better than his overall performance. Um, so there's definitely value to what he was bringing, but we were getting oh well, some of the narrative was getting out of control because the stats look so amazing. So I think he should be the right guy for them going forward. Like I think it's the correct decision to give it to Purdy rather than go back to Trey Lance, given what we saw. But now we need to understand where is this going to settle into? Like, what is our baseline going to be for him? Because the sample size is small. Um, and it was amazing, you know, right away. Either way, he might be surrounded by the best group of playmakers in the NFL. Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, George Kittle. I mean, as a starting point, can it get any better than that? And not only that, but players who could do multiple things. We saw once Christian McCaffrey came over, Hey, formationally, good luck with this. Debo Samuel can line up at running back. Christian McCaffrey can line up at receiver. We're moving people around. We got Juszczyk over there, too, who can line up all over the place. The most versatile fullback in the league, you know, hmm. out of four of them. How dare you? But Patrick Ricard is a fullback offensive true. lineman defensive Ricard's line. running mesh over there yeah. for, uh, for the Ravens. Uh, so these are uh, – Ayuk has been – fantastic he looks like he's coming into his own maybe even has wide receiver one potential for another team and he might be the the third target here for the Niners um and you know say what you want about Brock Purdy and his ascent it did kind of coincide with Christian McCaffrey coming over well to the Niners for whatever that's worth uh as a running back so they got the playmakers man and the best left tackle in the NFL and Trent Williams there's always confounding factors always confounding Um, factors yeah well this that that's the starting point for the Niners and I, I think the only question is going to be on that offensive line, particularly the right side, where you lose Mike McGlinchey and you've got a few more question marks up front maybe than they had last year. Yeah, there's a few teams in the NFL where you look at it and you say, the skill position players are great. The offensive line looks like it could undermine the whole thing. I mean, isn't that the story for several teams this year? But yeah, Trent Williams. Shanahan's – sorry to interrupt. I'm interrupting you a lot today. I apologize. But Shanahan, I think, has done well. He, he elevates the line, too. Yeah. Right? No, it, it is. It's an offensive system that makes everything better. It makes the receivers better. It makes the quarterback better. It makes the offensive line better, or at least look better. Um, and Trent Williams is still the best left tackle in the NFL, one of the best offensive linemen of all time. So that's huge. But he's one fifth of an offensive line that now looks like it has a theoretical weakness at at least one or two spots. And the rest of them don't have a particularly high standard rate of play. So. This might be the worst offensive line I can think of in a Shanahan offense for a long time. And maybe all of the other factors are enough to, you know, drag it up, to raise the level, raise the tide of that offensive line. But for the first time, I think in a long time, you look at that and you say, that has the potential to derail this offense in a way that it doesn't usually. Colton McKivitz is in year four to step in at right tackle here 446 career snaps it doesn't mean he can't do it I mean he was he was okay in 71 snaps last year in limited time um doesn't mean he can't do it but these are just these are question marks I think you knew I know that Mike McGlinchey got tossed by Micah Parsons one time on a rep Mm. I don't know that's bad that was a bad rep yeah Mike McGlinchey was a good right tackle excellent excellent run blocker and a solid pass rusher he's a good player you're Blocker. losing a couple good players up front. Or you're, you're, there's turnover up front. Um, still don't really know what you get from Aaron Banks. But it, on, on paper, it's you know what you're getting from Trent Williams. Elite play. The other four spots, spots are not great on that O-line. So, yeah, that is one thing that could potentially derail it. But, again, Shanahan, a master of blocking angles, 
winning the box count up front in the run game and setting these guys up for success, relying on play action to mitigate pass blocking concerns. So overall, it, it, it might be a wash, but if there's something to watch for the Niners offense, it's going to be the O-line. Defensively, um, Nick Bosa, still waiting for that big deal. Um, but they've got stars, man. They've got stars, and they bring in Javon Hargrave, one of the biggest free agent signings this offseason. Yeah. The Niners have had, when they've been good and they've been making these NFC Championship runs, it started with that defensive line. Um, I thought Javarius Ward at corner last year was a great addition. But you've got a star, stars up front, Nick Bosa, Javon Hargrave, Fred Warner at linebacker. You've got Ward in the back end at, at corner. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga was fantastic at safety last year, so they got playmakers at every level for the Niners. Yeah, that defensive line looks nasty. I mean, Nick Bosa obviously is a defensive player of the year type candidate. Javon Hargrave has been one of the best interior pass rushers in the NFL over the last few years. And if you rewind beyond that, kind of go back to his Pittsburgh days, he started off as more of a run defender. Like, he can do that as well. Maybe he can't do them both at the same time, but... He can be either of those guys if you need him to be. Um, I would imagine that's he has the ability to be either guy as opposed to he's just coincidentally transformed. Uh, Eric Armstead, obviously a really imposing player as well. And then you've got guys like Drake Jackson, who I love coming out of the draft as a, a sort of situational speed rusher. Cleland Furl, who obviously was a disappointment as a, a top pick in, in uh, Las Vegas for the Raiders, but isn't a bad player. Like he's not... He didn't justify his draft spot, but he's become one of these guys who is probably completely overlooked now because he's seen of as a, a draft bust, as a failure, but is actually a solid NFL player. So a guy to add to this defensive line, I think that's a sneaky good move. And then, yes, beyond that, you know, Fred Warner, star at linebacker, Hufanga potentially a star at, at uh, safety. This should be a good defense again. Drake Greenlaw was fantastic last year you know that pairing of Greenlaw and Warner is probably the best in the league they use Warner in different ways and uh you know trust him running the seam like uh, other other teams can't do with their middle linebacker so lots of like with the Niners the big question I think is that last year the question was always the cornerback spot opposite Traverius Ward who had a he had a really good season um they had injuries last year we saw Lenore fill in and have a pretty good little playoff run but he was not good leading up to that so it's Ambry Thomas probably trying to slot in opposite Traverius Ward so um, every team's going to have new players and in, in some unproven's for the Niners it's a couple spots on the offensive line it's it's a spot or two in the secondary depending on how they settle in the nickel situation and everything that's pretty much it you know it's a it's a it's a little bit of turnover for a team that almost every year Kyle Shanahan has had a healthy quarterback or Brock Purdy, they've made the NFC Championship. Yeah. So expectations are high again for the Niners. Uh, what's the over-under for the Niners? Let's find it. Mm-hmm. Ten and a half. Boo. Now, you get four healthy. games against the Rams, who and Shanahan's owned, two against the Rams and two against the Cardinals. Four games against those two teams. Which is the team, it's in the Cardinals, the team that's owned the 49ers, though? In this weird Russian rule. Oh yeah, it's a weird, uh, weird uh, yeah. rock paper scissors. That might not work this division. Time. Cliff's gone though. Does that change <laughs> That's true. things? Yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I think there are more cracks in this team than people are talking about. Like we're just sort of penciling back in the same NFC Championship game as last year. Everybody in their preview, it's going to be Eagles 49ers again. I feel like there are more cracks to this team than that, but I still think they win more than ten and a half games. Uh, I'll take. 
Yeah, I'll take the over. I'll, I'll say, too, the feeling I get with the Niners, and I, maybe I just downplayed it a little bit and said, ah, there's just a few spots where there's turnover. I, it feels like when the, the Cowboys last year, where I thought they were a very good team, the baseline was already high, but they, I think they got a little bit worse than the previous year. I think the Niners, top to bottom, might be a little bit worse than they were last year. Mm. But they'll still, they're, but they're still really good. The base, you're coming from, they're the second best team in the NFC. Yes. So if they come down a little bit, they still could be the second best team in the NFC. That's okay. Can I give you some crazy dates? I dug it up the Jerry Rice thing, the ACL recovery. Jeez. Oh, no, I'm trying it's to important. trying to stay on point here. You, we've already lost the point. It's important. It's these are these are historic numbers. So we're talking about how quickly can Kyler Murray recover from his ACL. Uh, I reference Sia Khaleesi, the South African captain, got back on the field 119 days after tearing his ACL. Jerry Rice, in 1997, tore his ACL and MCL in week one and was back on the field 106 days later. (laughs) How? I don't know. Well, look, it didn't work out that great because he caught a touchdown and tore his patella or snapped his patella or something like in the same game. So he got back literally for that game and then was done. But 106 days, the man got back on the field. And then he played, what, eight more years in the league? Yeah. What uh-huh. was his last year, 05? Something like that, yeah. Or Jerry Rice. Seahawks yeah. legend, Jerry Rice. Yeah, 05. The Denver, no, Denver Broncos, Jerry. Broncos? Preseason, I think. I don't think he even was on the team for the regular season. But was yes. he on Seattle's Super Bowl team? Wasn't oh, no. he on their Super Bowl 04 team? 04 was Seattle. 04 was Seattle. Yeah. Okay, so he wasn't on the 05 Super Bowl team. No. All right, we're going to move on to the Seattle Seahawks. But first, our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Yeah, that's right. Sam and I, we drink it every single day because how else are you going to get all your nutrients? That's what we do, right? You drink it and uh, get everything you need to kick off the day, Sam. Tell us about AG1. Well, God knows you're not getting the nutrients from our other diet elsewhere. Stop so. making fun of my diet, man. Wait. I you are. It was collective. Uh, having witnessed, you know, our trip to Nashville, our collective diet was rough. So you get your if you get your nutrients from AG One, then you can eat all the barbecue you want, like we did. Exactly. Yeah. Start of the day, crank it in the water, get the good stuff down you, and then then barbecue for lunch. Perfect. Everybody could relate to that. So all great athletes have one thing in common: they take care of their bodies. Huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them drink AG1. That's why I'm a huge fan. If it's good for athletes and former athletes like me, it's good for you. With every daily serving, we're just setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that, you know, give us all the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's the micro habits that deliver the macro habits and helps just about everybody take care of their health every single day. Also love that it costs just less than $3 a day. Pretty good deal. If you ask me, it's a really good, effective daily habit. It's a win-win, good price, good results. If a comprehensive solution is what you need your supplement for your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. All right, Seattle Seahawks are on deck as we wrap up the NFC West. Geno Smith coming off of his breakout season last year. Seattle, yeah, made a little run, made it to the playoffs. They lose to the Niners in the wild card round. But you got Geno Smith coming back. They had a, I don't want to say legendary, but an elite rookie class last year. Like you found two starting tackles, mm-hmm. potentially elite corner in Tariq Woolen, a good running back in Ken Walker. 
And on paper, it looks like maybe this draft class is going to be just as good. Nine and eight last year, projected for 8.2 wins. What are your thoughts on Seattle heading into the season? Yeah, I mean, it's a strong team. Um, a lot of it is going to depend, can they continue? Like, was that rookie class as good as it looked, or is it going to take a step back? You know, did we just see sort of impressive debut performances, and actually that's not necessarily who they're going to be going forward? Or do they kick on and become even stronger looking? I mean, Charles Cross, Abraham, Abraham Lucas, the two tackles they had last year, they played very well out of the gate, and it started to tail off the longer the year went their range of outcomes i think is pretty is pretty wide this year they they could be problematic at some point or they could take a big step forward and actually look like two of the better tackles in the nfl so and Tariq woolen is a similar kind of idea right incredible right out of the gates built quite built a lot more than you know sauce gardner on the sort of volatile splash plays interceptions you know those kinds of things so is Given Tariq Woolen's extremely young at playing cornerback, is he going to take a huge step forward and, and start looking like a true all-pro this year? Or do the splash plays regress a little bit and you end up with a, something a lot less impressive than we saw last season? So I think a lot of it is going to come down to what these young players look like in year two and beyond. And this rookie class, can they have the same kind of impact? But if all or most of that hits, this is a really good-looking team. It shows how wrong we can be on these previews sometimes, Sam. But last year at this time, Seattle had just traded Russell Wilson. They were given the job to Geno Smith. Um, he was actually battling Drew Locke for yeah. the job. It looked like they time. were basically punting on the season, like giving up on this year. Geno's the guy. All right, you have two. You have two rookie tackles, right? Yeah. The same thing, right? Because we didn't know what they were going to do right away. It looked like maybe what we were just talking about with the Rams or the Cardinals. It looked like a rebuilding year. And all of a sudden, it was a playoff push because Geno Smith was was fantastic, and that rookie class yeah. was awesome. It looked a lot like the Cardinals, where you're like you're talking about next year. You know, this is this season is just let's waste some time. We'll have a high draft pick, and we'll go again, only without the quarterback. Like Arizona, at least theoretically, has Kyler Murray as the future at that position. The Seahawks didn't even have that. They trade. It's like they traded away Kyler Murray, and we're rolling into this year with some combination of Clayton Tune or or um, Colt McCoy. That was what it looked like. And then Geno Smith looks like a top 10 quarterback out of nowhere. And the rookie class was playing extremely well. And some of the players that they had already on the roster were playing well as well. Yeah, it's, it can be. That's one of the most sort of shocking deviations from expectation that you can think of in a year. So now you're looking at a team. I want to talk about Geno in a minute here. But, you know, I always start with QB and pass catchers. This group of pass catchers with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett, I think for years here in Seattle, those have been the guys and then it's like a oh, little tight end production, even when Russ was there, right? A little tight end production, revolving door at wide receiver three. But they go and spend a first-round pick on Jackson Smith and Jigba, who might be the best wide receiver three in the league right off the bat. And a, an awesome compliment to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Um, Smith and Jigba does have a wrist injury that I think week one might be in jeopardy, but let's just pretend he's going to be healthy this season. Uh, I think insurance for those top two – but also, Smith and Jigba work in the slot where he's a, just a smooth route runner, knows how to get open. Some legitimate playmakers here for Geno Smith. And look, as good as Geno was last year, and there was a point where he was a you know graded early as a top five quarterback, and then he just kind of dropped off, landed you know around 10 or 12, whatever it was. Uh, he's probably still just a mid-tier quarterback. That's what you are. That's not a knock. 
But mid-tier quarterbacks with this group of receivers in a solid offensive line, they can produce. So Seattle's set up to have a really productive pass game. Yeah, Geno's um, Gino's season was very strange. He had three single-game grades that were above 91. So 91.3 against the Saints, that's 10.7 yards per attempt, three touchdowns, no He's interceptions. He's out of his mind against the Saints. Yeah, 91.5 against the Giants, um, 92.4 against the Lions. That's another 10.7 yards per attempt, two touchdowns, no interceptions. Those are like passer rating of 130-plus type games. So he had three of those. His debut on the season against Denver was an 84.5, and then nothing else was good. The, the next two highest games are 72 and 73. Um, and from that week nine onwards, it was average at best towards below average. Now, it all that, again, we said earlier, there's always confounding factors. That coincided with the offensive line playing a lot worse in the second half of the season than it did at the start of the season. But there are a few instances where you can look at a guy you know, the overall picture with Gino was, wow, that was really surprising, and he was a top-10 quarterback. There's very few instances where you sort of look at it and go, okay, but we're now – that's kind of built off three games, you know, three, four games. That's his season. Everything else was the same Gino we've always seen. Um, so I think there's a real live question as to what exactly he's going to look like this year um, because big picture, we saw a lot of the old Gino – and then we saw another one of these wildly volatile quarterbacks who uh, had one of the highest big-time throw rates in the NFL, had a ton of those, was the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, ironically taken over from Russell Wilson, who was the best deep ball thrower in the NFL, but also had 29 turnover-worthy plays, like led the league in turnover-worthy plays up there with Josh Allen. Um, so like, what are we going to get this year from Geno, I think is a very valid and unknown question right now. When we have our conversations the dialogue around Geno Smith is the same dialogue you have around around the mid-tier quarterback again I use that as a just descriptor it's not a knock but it's a it's a guy that will have high-end games will have bad games he had he had a game with four turnover worthy plays last year a game with three a game with five and then another game with three once again in week 18 with it with the season on the line and they still ended up winning again to the playoffs so I don't know what you're going to get. I do think we had a Seattle fan ask, uh, you know, I'm basically saying, I'm arguing with my friend, and my friend says, the interceptions are the only thing that matter. He only had nine interceptions last season. That's what matters. Not turnover-worthy plays, some made-up stat. And, you know, the question was basically, like, should we buy into this? And I, I said, yes, you should buy into turnover-worthy plays. Because it does matter if you keep throwing the ball to a linebacker and it, and it drops. That's Turnover-worthy plays are more consistent year-to-year -year than interceptions are year-to-year. So I do expect some turnover regression there on the negative side for Geno Smith. I don't think he was great at taking care of the ball last right. year. He had the second most turnover-worthy plays in the NFL last season, and a lot of the ones he got away with were in the red zone. Now, the other part of this conversation, let me say, that was his first full year as a starter yeah. in seven years, right? So on the positive end, he was a little better at improving his sack rate. Still took 50 sacks or so, but... He was a little better at some of the things that I thought he struggled with way back when he was playing with the Jets. Big-time throws, as you mentioned, he was, he, he was special in that area, getting the ball down the field. That throw against the Saints was out of this world into triple coverage. It was pinpoint. And the other thing about Geno, when he did hit some lulls, he did bounce back. I loved his ability. Right when you were ready to say, oh, the wheels are falling off. Now we're regressing back into Geno Smith, who's a career backup. He never 
fully regressed into that. He regressed a little bit, but he was still a solid NFL starter. And I think at the baseline, you're getting an average to above average NFL starter with maybe a little bit higher end potential in there as well. Yeah, like the baseline was higher, even though some of the numbers look the same as like early Geno, right? Like so 4.2% was his turnover worthy play rate last year. That was also his turnover worthy play rate in 2014, his last like full year starting for the Jets, his second year in the NFL, exactly the same percentage. Um, 5.6% was his big time throw rate last year. His rookie year, it was five. So those numbers are not a million miles away from each other across the board. But last year, he averaged, you know, a full half yard more uh, per attempt. His PFF grade was higher by, you know, 15 points. So the baseline, the throw to throw level, he was making more plays. He was being more efficient. He was better than he was earlier in the season. But it's just that it was so concentrated on like three or four games of insane performance. And it's like, you can sort of say, well, what if you just take those games away? Because they happened, and what if you took the three best games from every quarterback out? You know, you're torpedoing everybody's grade. But it's rare that you get a, a season built so heavily on, you know, three or four games. And because they all took place in the first half of the season, that sort of sets the narrative. Like, the expectations on Geno were minimal going into the season. So at the halfway point of the year fully 50% of his games had been outstanding, you know? Yes. So now you're, that's like, that's completely flipped expectations. We've gone from, I mean, he's probably going to be average at best going forward to actually at the halfway point of the year, half of his games look like Patrick Mahomes and he's one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL right now. And then you sort of, once you set that expectation, it's quite easy to not notice that the next eight games were not that good at all. And, you know, you, so... I do think that he's in a very strange spot now where he did look better across the board than anything we saw from him previously in his NFL career. Having said that, I still think that the range of outcomes for him this year are pretty wide. All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The multi-year issue in Seattle has been the pass rush. Last year, 28th best pass rush grade for the Seahawks. Uh, they've made a few changes this offseason. They've drafted a ton of young edge defenders, Boye Mafe in 2022. You got Derek Hall coming in. Uh, Daryl Taylor had a pretty nice se season. Uchenna Nwosu's coming back. Um, Bobby Wagner rejoining the Seahawks here. Mm -hmm. Bobby Wagner comes back, not to necessarily fix the pass rush, but um, pass rush is the big question. They bring on Draymond Jones. He's their big money free agent signing to help with the pass rush. It looks like it should be better. If you get a little bit of development from the youth, you get Draymond Jones in there, who's a better pass rusher than a run defender. Um, and then, you know, maybe Jamal Adams coming back and making plays. Intriguing secondary because Tariq Woolen, who had one of the freakiest combines you'll ever see, size, length, movement skills, 4-2-something speed, looks like a three-year developmental project, and boom, he's one of the, you know, best rookie corners we've seen over the last couple of years. Woolen was fantastic. Can he keep it up? You mentioned that earlier. Draft Devin Witherspoon at number five overall. Michael Jackson, big, long corner. They've got an intriguing group in the secondary. This might be the best Seattle defense we've seen in a few years. Yeah, Boye Mafe is having a, a very strong preseason after not particularly impressing last year. But again, was a guy a lot of people liked, and it doesn't always happen here one for uh, for young players coming into the NFL. So Boye Mafe will be interesting to watch this year if he can really kick on and become uh, the player that people thought they were drafting. Yeah, there's there's definitely talent in this in this defense. There's no reason this group can't be a very uh, very good group. So, you know, turnover at the linebacker group, 
Um, they were below average last year. The pass rush, I think, should be a little bit better. Uh, I think, you know, Seattle too. Remember when they when they start, they, they had the Legion of Boom and Russell Wilson. They had this stretch of incredible drafting, and it looked like, wow, how they, you know, how are they ever going to slow down? Who's going to slow down Seattle? You have young Russell Wilson. You've got this secondary. But they had a four or five year stretch where the they just did not replenish the roster through the draft. And, you know, it, it always goes back to can you be really good at just picking players? Can you be the best in the league at picking players? And I think Seattle's a good example of they've had some highs, they've had some lows through the years. They're back up on the upswing. What they what they I think what they brought in in the twenty two class and all those contributors, and now maybe in this twenty three class when you see Devin Witherspoon and Jackson Smith and Jigba and what they're capable of, Zach Charbonnet at running back. I'm really high on Seattle. Feeling good about the Seahawks right now. With all my questions with Geno Smith, I think I'm just impressed with the infrastructure that's been created, the roster there compared to what it looked like a year ago, and their group of unknowns becoming, you know, intriguing second year talent. So yeah. I'm feeling good about the Seahawks. Again, vaguely similar to the other two teams we talked about in the division in that the offensive line looks like a potential weakness or a potential issue really strong skill position players um but the big difference is like their defense is light years ahead of you know the other teams where they had weaknesses there like arizona's the rams their defense is so much better it's closer to the 49ers in that regard than it is those other two teams which i think is a large reason why they're closer to the 49ers than the other two teams all right over under is nine and a half man Hmm. What are you going to do with nine and a half? I'm going to go under nine and a half and say just nine. I think I'm going to go over. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to go over. I think the totality of Geno Smith's season, I'll lean toward the positive end, the roster, like I said, and then the fact that you've – the division, the weaker division. We're going to go okay. there. All right, it's off to the AFC West. It means the Denver Broncos are up next. Russell Wilson, former Seahawk. So Broncos are here. Sean Payton's in town. Russ coming off of a disappointing season, to say the least. Changes abound. Yeah. The Broncos go from a team for a few years where it's like, hey, the roster's good. Just get him a quarterback. And they go through all these different quarterbacks. And it's Teddy Bridgewater. And, you know, they tried Joe Flacco one year. They've, right? Didn't they try Flacco? Did I make that up? Did Flacco play for the Did I make that up? I'm losing my mind here. Is deleted. that 2018? I've deleted late, late Eric Flacco from my <laughs> the memory. The Broncos have been the revolving door of quarterbacks. He did. Yeah. 2019. Russell, 19, yeah. Russell Wilson was going to be the guy to save it all. I've like memory hold that as a thing. That's good. That was when you said, that was when you said, you're Joe Flacco. Yeah, that's that was right. when he was a Bronco. That's when it was. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, can uh, Sean Payton get Russell Wilson back on track here? <laughs> After uh, the quote, what, or. Rough quote. One of the worst coaching performances in history. For the power For Sean Payton. Yeah. 5-12 and 12 last year. They're projected at 8.6 this season. Yeah. Catastrophe last year. It basically can't be as bad as it was last year. The question is how much better can it get or how big a, an impact can Sean Payton make? And he seems to be taking the approach of let's just, like, change everything on the basis of most of it is probably right. You know? I don't really know what the correct answer is, but I know that what happened last year was about as wrong as it can possibly get. So if I take the exact opposite approach to everything that happened last year, I'm probably in the right direction. You know? So things like <laughs> banning bucket hats. Well, they love bucket hats last year, so I'm going to ban them this year. That's probably the right way to go. He banned bucket How would you get into camp? What happened? 
Can't have bucket hats. Can't have them. Why? Can't have that. Because they had them last year and things were bad, so we got to ban them this year. He had this whole thing about, you know, when you're done with your preseason game, here are the things you can't do on the sideline. No bucket hats, no whatever. There's a whole list of things. And then there's a picture of Garrett Wilson with, like, all five of the things that he banned, you know, on the sideline for the Jets. It's like, yeah. I mean, I get, I get what you're trying to do, you know. Let's just not do last year. But interesting in, them, in themselves, these rules might be foolish. Uh, but that, I mean, I don't know that's the wrong approach, right? It's to just exactly opposite of what happened last year and we're probably in the right direction uh the wilson thing i you know he we may never see the old version of russell wilson but the gap between that and what we saw last year is so huge that there's a middle course to be charted and the middle course is probably still quite a good player um and that i think is the real key yeah the let's let's start with russ and getting him back on track clearly his worst season last year but his his multi-year sample is really interesting as well, right? There was a, you go back four or five years, the, those years we can't remember anymore. You go back four or five years and we said, look, Russ is a top eight quarterback. For three or four games a year, he's going to look like one of the best quarterbacks in the league. For three or four games a year, he's going to have a, just a dud, just a terrible game. He still might lead a fourth quarter comeback and right. you're going to win with you know 12 points or something. But that's, you know, that's kind of Russell Wilson. But then he has this stretch 2019 and into 20 where it's like man is he up among the elites yeah you're not going to put you know you're not going to you still don't know if you want to just let him cook and throw 40 45 times a year but you know when he's play action throw the ball down the field Russell Wilson looks incredible middle of 2020 there was a drop off 2021 injures his finger and he's got some issues when he comes back from the finger is it the injury is it regression but there was a stretch of play from 20 into 21 where Russell Wilson was in the 20s when you're ranking quarterbacks by PFF grade. And, and again, confounding factors, right? Is it, the, is it the finger injury? What is it? Yeah. And it actually proved to be kind of predictive of his 2022, maybe. I mean, like the results looked like, yeah, that's what you are. You're in the 20s. You're not good anymore. But it did coincide with Nathaniel Hackett and everything else that was going on there in Denver. So now I think the question is, can Peyton help Russ just creep back toward average? Can he just get him back to middle of the pack? Well, there's, yeah, there's two things. There's like, can he get, vi- like last year's offense just wasn't even viable. It didn't work. It didn't function. There was that horrific game that everybody was forced to sit through. It was a disaster. So there's, let's just not be that. And that's probably his starting goal. And then there's, okay, what Russell Wilson was truly great at for most of his career is the exact thing that NFL defenses have been focusing on over the last few years and trying to take off the table. This move and this development towards the Vic Fangio type of defense, split safeties, uh, you know, cover two, cover four, cover six, all this kind of stuff has been about trying to take away explosive plays, big vertical chunk plays that change the dynamic of a drive and of the game. And that's what Russell Wilson was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL at. He was incredible at creating those plays, at taking advantage of those plays when they were there. And when you look at that initial beginning of his decline, some of those, the the worst games he had were against Brandon Staley and the Rams, where he just ran into that defense and couldn't figure out what to do with the ball. He tried to play the same thing he's been trying to, he'd been playing for years and just take shots that were no longer there. And the Rams defense was just capitalized and picked the ball off. So Sean Payton needs to, one, get viable play. And then two, either 
try and create a system that somehow manufactures those plays anyway or figures out how to turn Russell Wilson into a different quarterback than he's been ever before and get him at to the same level knowing that what he was great at is a much smaller part of an offense today than it used to be. Now, let's go. The There were some injuries last year. Cortland Sutton wasn't around for the season. Uh, Tim Patrick was lost early last season. He's gone again for this year. But we got Cortland Sutton back. Jerry Judy had a bit of a connection with Russell Wilson down the stretch last year. And Judy had a bit of a breakout last year as a guy that, compared to his peers, right, wasn't as good as we expected maybe mm-hmm. coming out. But Judy still has a ton of potential as a route runner. We got Marvin Sims in Mims. the mix. The great Marvin Mims, sorry, Marvin Mims in the mix. The great Marvin Mims. Uh, this should look better. Greg Dulcich can run the seam a little bit at tight end. Should be a better group of playmakers. And then the offensive line was kind of hit or miss. And that was like the first thing that Sean Payton did when he Real got in focus. there. He said, we're going to get Ben Powers from the Ravens. We're going to get Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers. Uh, Garrett Bowles coming back off of injury. I think three out of five at least look solid. Quinn Miners, I mean, four out of five really look yeah. solid for Denver. So I think... Just Russell Wilson aside, I do think the supporting cast will be better yeah. right off the bat. So my JP Ryan comes in as a pass-catching running back. Mm-hmm. Javante Williams coming off his injury. But the just to finish up the Russ question, part of it was what's his skill set as a quarterback? Are you putting too much on his plate? Did Pete Carroll just know how to manage Russell Wilson? And the reason why you never put too much on his plate is because they knew you couldn't do that. That's one part of the equation. The other part was, was there actually physical decline? with Russell Wilson. He did look a little bit slower. He did look less dynamic. He was letting the rush get to him like he always did, and he was not breaking free from it. Was there physical decline with Russell Wilson, or is it just a skill set fit type of thing? Looked a little bit chunky. Now we, now we find out he's lost weight. Yeah, 15 pounds, apparently. That's a lot of weight. Yeah. So and there's he, intrigue there. He does look visibly, you know, slimmer than he was a year ago. Now... That would raise some immediate questions to me. He's one of these guys who's famously paying, you know, like a million dollars a year to, for body maintenance to people. Like, keep him in tip-top condition and make sure my career lasts as long as humanly possible. Like, what the hell were those people doing while he was packing on 15 pounds, apparently, of useless weight that he could lose this offseason to get back in shape? Like, what's your refund policy here? Because apparently you didn't do what you were supposed to be doing. He's doing dynamic warm-up on the plane. Yeah. But anyway, the point being, if that is a thing, that now he's lost 15 pounds and is, is closer to the player he used to be in terms of movement and athleticism and escapability and all those kinds of things. I mean, those are still a big part of his game, theoretically, right? Being able to run around behind the line of scrimmage, manipulate defenses, and exploit gaps and space that wasn't there when the play started. Like, that was what he always did in Seattle. And then what he took advantage of was like a deep bomb down the sideline once he maneuvered that space around. Even now, if the deep bomb isn't there, he can still find something different, but he, he needs that level of mobility to be able to do that. If that's back, that is a potentially difference-making uh, thing from last year. The last time we saw Sean Payton, 2021 with the Saints, it was his first year without Drew Brees with the Saints since 2006. They go 9-8. and eight. You've got a little bit of Jameis Winston. It looked like he had gotten Jameis Winston's career, at least, you know, pointed back in the right direction. They had Trevor Simeon for four starts. They had Taysom Hill in and out of the lineup. And when Drew Brees, every time Drew Brees got hurt, Sean Payton won games, you know, 5-0 and with Teddy Bridgewater. So he's got this history, small history, of still 
pretty much winning games even without the Hall of Fame quarterback. It's yep. small, but that's what they're expecting here is, okay, Sean Payton has found a way to win uh, even when Drew Brees wasn't there. We're not going to get Drew Brees' type of performance from Russell Wilson, presumably. So this should he should be able to elevate this team and, and make it much better offensively. And he, you know, he got the job in the first place before Drew Brees was a factor. I mean, there was a, he, had a, he has a history of getting good play out of quarterbacks that weren't Drew Brees before Drew Brees got there, um, which is relevant uh, when, like, his— his list of QBs before Drew Brees wasn't great either. So, All right, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Patrick Sertan. Uh, is he going by Pat? Pat Sertan? Two. 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 Uh, putting himself in the elite cornerback conversation last year. Uh, the defense was a little hit or miss last year. You know, they, they, they were so good for years with Vic Fangio there, and but they just never had the offensive side of the ball. The defense was more of the – they were a question mark at times last year. Remember that they would have good games and you know be mad at the offense for not scoring. But the defense had some cracks last year compared to what they were in, in previous years. What are you expecting on the defensive side of the ball? I think their defense will be good. Um, there's so much talent there. It, it probably underachieved a year ago as well. Like it just didn't get as much notice because of the offense. Um, but that group of pass rushes, I think, should be a lot better than it was a year ago. They've added some size and and stoutness resilience up the middle as well they brought back you know some important players guys like Josie Jewell linebacker um, and a guy like Patrick Sertan has the potential to be as good as any corner in the NFL I don't think he's quite there yet I think Sauce was better last year um, but he's basically as good as it gets at the cornerback position and that's a huge you know advantage to to be able to deploy using last year's PFF war as a baseline some of the additions they're having an Alex Singleton in there um, Josie Jewell, who you mentioned, those are above-average players. Zach Allen was coming off a career year. They paid him in free agency from the Cardinals. He's, uh, he was an above-average player last year. Those are just good, solid additions. Frank Clark comes in to compliment Randy Gregory. I still think Nick Benito has a role as a designated pass rusher. We saw Baron Browning you know, show some flashes last year when he was thrown into an edge rusher role. So, yeah, I think it'll be solid on the defensive side. Justin Simmons uh you know we'll see what else he has left but they look solid man i think, think they'll be better yeah. and look i don't not to um the coaching situation last year it wasn't just russ in the offense right it started right from the get-go they didn't you know they were kicking field goals on fourth and five from 79 yards or whatever it was i mean there was there were some issues <laughs> early on last year it got a little bit better there were some adjustments made but clearly it looked like Nathaniel Hackett wasn't ready for the gig, and it it's tough to fully gauge what was this five-win season for the Broncos because they were a, a solid team for many years. Solid team, and it was a similar roster. I think they get back to at least that eight-nine win type of status, right? Yeah, I mean— you know, the narrative when they acquired Russell Wilson right away was Denver has the capacity to challenge Kansas City and be a true Super Bowl contender. Um, now, obviously, that didn't happen, but most of the pieces that are in place for that to be the narrative are still there. And maybe the the change in, in outlook for Russell Wilson has changed the ceiling of where that can be, but I think the baseline is still this should be a good team. Like, they should be a playoff team. Over-unders, eight and a half. For Denver. Of course, yeah. So they should be a playoff team. The problem is so should the entire AFC, and somebody's not going to be. Um, 
and they're in a division with Kansas City and the Chargers. Hey, nah, nah. Hmm. I will go under and say they are eight and nine. Eight. Oh man, I don't love it because of the division and the AFC. I think I'll go under. I think Sean Payton will do well though, right? Yeah. I think Sean Payton will do well. I could be wrong on this one. I'll just say under because I got to say something. <laughs> Who the heck's next? The three more teams to discuss here. Three. I get the Super Bowl champs are up next. Kansas City Chiefs. Chiefs coming off a Super Bowl win. Uh, again, the narrative last year at this time was you lose Tyree Kill. Maybe you're taking a step back to take a step forward, but they leaped forward uh, to that championship last year, win the Super Bowl. Uh, it it was an intriguing year because Patrick Mahomes answered a lot of questions about how's he going to handle the league adjusting to him. Perfectly fine. The offense was as good as ever. The defense put a whole bunch of young players out there who held their own. So 13-4. and four. Projected to win 11.4 games. They're the favorite to win again. Um, I, you know, the multi-year view of the Chiefs are they, they've been the best team these last few years. Uh, the question is, when you look at last year, you know, it's not like, it's not pure dominance from start to finish. You know, sometimes just because they won, you think, well, they, of course the Chiefs won. We all knew the Chiefs were going to win. It wasn't like that throughout the season. They lost a big one to Buffalo. Uh, they... They were a couple. They won uh, the 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 game winning plays were penalties by the Bengals to put them into field goal range. Penalty against the Eagles in the Super Bowl. It's a fine line between us saying, "Well, the Chiefs disappointed again. They didn't win a Super Bowl," and of course they won. They're the favorite. But all that said, they're the favorite. The receiving core looks like on paper. If Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid weren't there, you're not saying, "Hey, this is one of the best receiving cores in the NFL." But when you look at those skill sets and the different route runners and yak ability, and you put them into this offense. It's an intriguing group of receivers. Mahomes continues to get better and adjust back to the league and everything. So, yeah, that's why the, the Chiefs are the favorites again. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the story on the Chiefs isn't going to change as long as the key uh, architects of this whole thing remain intact, which is Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, and Travis Kelsey, I guess, to a, a probably a slightly lesser degree. But as long as those three guys are there, the Chiefs are going to go into any season as one of the favorites for winning the Super Bowl. Um, you know, Mahomes is is showing how special he truly is. He had a, a kind of legacy enhancing, burnishing performance in the playoffs last season with that ankle injury, right, which while injured, yep. was bad. I mean, that would have kept most quarterbacks out of the game. And he went out there and didn't just play on the injury. You know, guys would have done that. There were players out there that would gut it out, who go out there, would play on the injury, and would look like crap, you know? And it's like, ah, it's probably still the best they can do, so why not? You got to let him try and give it a go. Mahomes played well without being able to move around. Like, he he literally didn't look like a bad quarterback. It looked good whilst basically not being able to move. You know, you look at that quarterback documentary – and one of the first things that's happening is Andy Reid sitting there next to him on the sideline, running through the playbook, going, "Can you do that?" And he's like, "Yep." Could you do this? Like he's trying to figure out what's on the table. Like how much of the offense have I got to throw out because you can't move? And Mahomes was basically saying, "Ah, keep going. It's all, it's all good. I'll figure it out." And he did. So, you know, he is genuinely insane. And we're in this world now where you're getting backlash right now. The longer we go. Now everybody's sick of people praising Mahomes, so we've got to fight back against it, you know, like the Brady stuff, right? 
We've had too many years of praising Brady, so now it's time to say Brady sucks. We've had too many years now of people saying Mahomes is insane, everything he does is crazy. So people, now you got to fight back. Everything, you know, why are you constantly riding Mahomes? Why can't you just let it go? Like, Well, because of things like that, right? That's one of the most insane runs in NFL history, and he just did it. So it's, you know, it's important to point out how crazy he is. But he's there. Reed's still there. Travis Kelsey is still there. Therefore, the Chiefs are great. And, you know, that group of playmakers that I talked about, they bring in Marcos Valdez-Scantling, use him as a deep threat. He's good as a deep threat. Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney, Rasheed Rice, uh, Richie James. It's almost like whoever you choose there is probably going to, you know, whoever you want to put in the slot to run those routes is probably going to get open and have a productive year. And so, you know, I feel good about the offense. think they're going to be fine. Um, there's turnover at tackle. Donovan Smith comes in from the Bucks, And Juwan Taylor, big money free agent to take over at right tackle. Jawan Taylor's been a better pass blocker than run blocker. Um, the intriguing thing there is, I think, because the Chiefs spread to run and everything, that it'll mitigate some of the run blocking problems that Jawan Taylor has had. Donovan Smith had a bit of a down year last year, but played through injury. Um, I've heard some people say this is the best tackle tandem that Patrick Mahomes has had. I don't believe that to be the case. I think Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz were probably better, mm. but it might be the best top to bottom line because the interior, Joe Tooney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, fantastic. And the Chiefs are coming off their two best pass block grades in the Mahomes era over the last two years. And so that's been a factor as well. When you mentioned his injury last year, the old line, it was like they stepped up and they said, we're not going to forget pressure. We're not going to let anybody close to Mahomes. They locked it down against the Jags and, you know, against the Bengals. They were incredible up front, and I think the tackles will be good enough. So, again, I think the offense will be, will be excellent once again. Big uh, crazy yeah. prediction for me. Isaiah Pacheco running hard, and, and they're, just, they're tough to defend because of all the different playmakers and Mahomes running the show. Yeah, and we don't know exactly what that wide receiver group is going to look like, but it, it almost doesn't matter. Like, we've seen what happens now when they move away from Tyreek Hill and they do it more by committee. And, you know, it looks like Sky Moore is going to step in to be that Juju Smith-Schuster type of receiver this year. Um, they seem to have confidence in him. And then behind him, you've got the sort of unknowns of, you know, Rasheed Rice, the rookie, Justin Ross, this incredibly talented but injury-cursed receiver in college who's been making noise every preseason. Um, but... The primary axis is Mahomes to Kelsey, and then the rest is just taking advantage of that. Uh, let's go to the defensive side of the ball. The big story here, of course, Chris Jones holding out and actually said this week he might hold out all the way to game eight mm. or through eight weeks of the season. He wants a big money deal. I've always said the Chiefs and their team-building effort, uh, just you know, fun to keep an eye on through the years. You know you've got this 10-year contract for Mahomes, you, they just chose to trade Tyreek Hill and said, we will break them up. We will take uh, one of the best deep threats in NFL history, and we're going to take five players in exchange for him because we're not going to spend our money there. But where the Chiefs choose to spend their money to complement Mahomes is going to be fascinating through the years. So there's a you know little battle here with Chris Jones. They, they're spending $20 million a year for the right tackle, Jawan Taylor. Mm hmm but they don't necessarily want to pay Chris Jones, who is an absolute game wrecker when he's at his best, for a defense that's been, you know, good, not great, under Spags. Spags. Yeah, it's a difficult uh, standoff to adjudicate because Chris Jones, I don't know if he wants 
more money than Aaron Donald or simply comparable money to Aaron Donald. But Chris Jones last year really has sort of bridged that gap between regular humans and Aaron Donald, right? If you look at basically any data point or any graph over the last you know several years, Aaron Donald is always off on his own anomalous data point all by himself. You know, there's the cluster of players, and then over here somewhere is Aaron Donald. Um, Chris Jones may not have gotten, may not have surpassed Donald, but has has moved into that gap. Like he's bridged the the gap between the regular players and where Aaron Donald usually resides in these data points. So he can definitely construct an argument that says, hey. I should be the best-played interior defensive player in the league. I should be the best-paid defender in the league. Having said that, if you're Kansas City, I mean, that's probably just not a point you want to go to for basically anybody. Like, we don't want anybody other than Mahomes, and he isn't, to be the best-paid player at their position in the NFL. Um, so I don't know how close they are in, in making that deal or, like, what is reasonable for a guy like Chris Jones who is basically as good as any defender in football right now. The thing I've said this offseason about this Chiefs defensive line, I'm intrigued by the different body types. And remember, two years ago, they had an issue at edge defender, and Chris Jones was the best edge defender on the team, so they played him at edge early in the year. He's not a great edge, but he's a guy that, when you put him out there every now and again for a mismatch, it works really well. That's what happened against the Bengals in third and long, game on the line. Hey, Chris Jones, go beat the right tackle because we have a mismatch there. That's what I'm intrigued about. When he's on the field... He's a mismatch creator. Now they add guys like Charles Amenehu, who's super long, different body type, Felix Nduke, uh, Uzama, Uzama in the first round, long, bendy body type, George Karloftis as a power, uh, you know, more of a bull rush type of specialist off the edge. Intriguing group of body types up front for the Chiefs, and all of those guys can move around. But Chris Jones is kind of the key there, right? If you yeah. take him off of that defensive line, Charles Amenehu is a fine player. He's a nice player. But he's a much better player when he's your second or third best rusher and not Chris Jones who's getting all the attention. So this is a big factor, I think, for the Chiefs and, you know, getting him, getting Jones back up. Uh, Chris back Jones, the field. yeah. That, uh, that defensive line goes from looking like a weak group to a strong group just by putting Chris Jones on it. Yep. You know, and goes the other way, obviously, if he's not there. So it's huge. I mean, if he's... In a way, it doesn't matter for them in terms of like, oh, if he's back, for, if he's back by week eight, like the important it's like the von miller conversation right the important part is not the first eight weeks of the season it's the last eight weeks and then the playoffs so if you have him for that that's the important part and you kind of have to because that's the point at which he starts to lose you know accrued seasons and you know things matter for him um but they obviously want to have him there long term and that involves getting a deal done which is seemingly reasonably far apart but if he's there on that defensive line it is a strong group without him it's a pretty weak group but the rest of this defense looks really talented as well. And this is not something you always say about Kansas City. You know, you go back a couple of years and you're like, this roster isn't particularly good. It's just got Mahomes, Kelsey, and Tyreek Hill on it. Now you're looking at it and you're saying, I mean, this just this defense. Forget the offense. Well, this was... There's a lot of good players on it. It's That was the decision that they made, right? When they said, we're going to trade Tyreek Hill, we're going we're gonna to bring five new players in and say the some of their parts will, over time, be be more important than Tyree Kill. So that's where Trent McDuffie comes from in the secondary. They did a nice job of Jalen Watson and Joshua Williams as rookies last year at corner. They got the most out of, you know, seventh round in UDFAs. Legereus Sneed that they brought in a few years ago. Uh, Nick Bolton, Leo Chanel. 
they do have good solid players. Willie in Gay. The back seven I mean, now. Drew Tranquil was brought in in free agency, and the dude is buried on the depth chart, and he's you know a solid linebacker in today's NFL. Like they have four linebackers that can all play to some degree, and not enough playing time for them to be on the field. Justin Reed's out there. They lose one Thornhill, but yeah, they're it's a good. It's a good, solid defense. And I think, again, the MO during the Spags era is they've never been, you know, when they had uh, Bob Sutton there early on, 2018 with Mahomes, they were one of the worst defenses in the league. Spags is not, he's not going to have one of the worst defenses in the league. They're probably not going to be a dominant defense, but they definitely have games where they're holding their own and keeping it just close enough for Mahomes to go work his magic late. And that's why they're, that's why they're tough to beat, man. So um, if Chris Jones is out there, I think this might be the best Chiefs defense in years. Yeah. Uh, because it is it is solid across the board, and there is defensive line depth that did not exist a few years ago mm-hmm. that they've, they've purposely invested there. So anything negative to say about the Chiefs? Anything negative to say about the Chiefs? I mean, the only thing is I think they look better this year. But, again, it's tough, right? You still – have to like you're not that much but just because they won last year and say the bills didn't win and the Bengals didn't win they're not that much better than those teams to the point where well the chiefs are going to go 16 and one and that's clear as day they could go 13 and four once again and then one break of the ball here or there you know they lose in the afc championship any of that stuff can happen but i think the chiefs look better equipped this year than they did last year when they won it so i mean i said this coming out of that netflix documentary like remember going into that game Joe Burrow and the Bengals had beaten Kansas City three consecutive times. Yeah. And if they had and, and it took it took a, a dumb, an idiot defensive penalty by Joseph Asai pushing was it Mahomes? Whoever he pushed out of Mahomes, bounds yeah. late. Uh, to give him fifteen yards, let them win, let them kick the winning field goal, right? It like if that doesn't happen, so essentially one play, now they still had the ball, they could have done it anyway. But let's say for sake of the discussion, one play effectively flips that game back to now it's four straight times including in a championship game the narrative is now Cincinnati owns Mahomes Joe Burrow is better than Patrick Mahomes by a couple plays right like by one or two plays we've gone from the Chiefs are the prohibitive favorites every year they win you know blah blah blah, to we're like two plays away from the narrative being Cincinnati is the dominant AFC force right now and Joe Burrow is better than Mahomes and blah, blah blah so yeah, this, this team looks fantastic, and anytime you have that starting core, it's going to be the favorite or a favorite for the Super Bowl, for the championship game, etc. But the margin between the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bengals and now maybe other teams is incredibly fine. Over-under for the Chiefs is 11.5. Over. Yeah, I will also take the over. All right, man, two more teams to discuss. How are we doing on time? That's your department. That's all right. Not bad. I haven't been timing it this time, but I think we're in the general, <laughs> the general. vicinity this in year. The ballpark. This time. Las Vegas Raiders are next, and then the Chargers. Uh, Raiders, we've got Josh McDaniels heading into year two. The Raiders set some NFL records last year for blowing 10-point leads. Not great. That's not ideal. Not ideal. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is in. They trade. Uh, they bench Derek Carr at the end of the season. He's off to the Saints. Uh, so it's Jimmy Garoppolo's team now. Whatever. For the Raiders. I'm already on to Aiden O'Connell. Maybe we're on to Aiden O'Connell. 6-11 uh, and 11 last year in Josh McDaniel's first year with the Raiders. Projected to win seven this year. Uh, they were in an interesting, interesting spot last year at this time because it looked like a rebuilding effort. 
you've got a new, you know, new GM, new coach, new everything, and they trade for Devontae Adams. You know, in a year where it's like, ah, we really, we really ready to compete. Well, they tried to compete. So Devontae Adams is back. Uh, Jacoby Myers comes in in free agency. You got Max Crosby on the defensive side of the ball, who's a star. Um, is that enough though for the Raiders to improve upon their six and eleven record here? I don't. I mean, it might be because six and eleven is not a particularly difficult record to improve on, but it doesn't look great, particularly in this context of the division and the conference, the AFC generally, where everybody seems to be loading up and getting better and better and better and somehow all of the teams look to be contenders and then you have the Raiders and it's like we decided to move on from Derek Carr because Derek Carr doesn't do a lot of good against Mahomes and Burrow and Josh Allen and Trevor Lawrence and blah 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 you're like okay that's that's an argument I can buy I respect that and the fix was Jimmy Garoppolo or at least what they were left with when the music stopped and that was the only chair available that's where you you start looking at it and go uh, okay now, maybe Jimmy Garoppolo, you can argue, does better in Josh McDaniel's system than Derek Carr, even if they're vaguely comparable players in terms of overall ability. But, look, the skill position players are nice. I like that a lot. I think they've got a lot to work with, even trading away Darren Waller, who I personally would have kept. Um, but the skill position players are nice. Offensive line was getting better last year. It's not in a bad spot. They've successfully achieved the creep back toward average mantra. Yeah. But Jimmy G is a thoroughly uninspiring quarterback to, to be leading your team in a murderer's row division and a conference where everybody's good and the defense still looks bad. I'm excited for more Jimmy G data points. Yeah. <laughs> more Jimmy G data How points. How many data points do you need before you're just like, all right, I've seen enough now. Because, I'm out. because I don't need any more. Because. Let's let's use let's use win loss record for a minute here. Oh, okay. He's forty and seventeen Let's. as a starter. L- listen for a minute here. He's forty and seventeen as a starter. Mm-hmm. And other than when the time Brock Purdy took over, every other time Jimmy G got hurt, which was often, <laughs> the the stats were fine. Right? We talk about Kyle Shanahan, the magician. I ah, made Nick Mullins look great. He looked C.J. Beathard, great stats, but they never won with those guys. And I know those guys are backups and the whole thing. But they never won. Whenever Kyle Shanahan had his hand-picked quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, they made it to the NFC Championship. Every time. Or, or better. And then last year, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt. And they still made it to the NFC Championship. But what I'm saying is they, they've won a lot of games. And the Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo stats are great. I trust PFF grades. I think the PFF grades tell the story better than the stats. But part of the story is you've got pretty good grade for Jimmy Garoppolo. Ridiculous stats consistently through the years now he's going to go to a situation where the familiar offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels and he's got some dudes to throw to starting with Devontae Adams Jacoby Myers who's a good two draft Michael Mayer at tight end you got Austin Hooper at tight end so we might see good stats again so the data point is is Jimmy G actually a winner (laughs) he's been in an incredible situation right because he's had Shanahan He's had the Niners playmakers. Mm-hmm. He was 2-0 with New England. And when you look back at that New England team in 2016, one of the best teams the Patriots ever had. Like once Brady came back, they, did, they lost one game and they won the Super Bowl. So Garoppolo's been in a great situation every single time. This is probably his worst situation, but offensively it's not bad. So if Jimmy G goes like 12-5 and five this year, you're like, see, he's just a winner. Just a winner. He proves the rule that actually QB wins is a stat. I mean, I think there's 
I, I don't think QB wins are all noise. I mean, I, I don't think you, especially in small sample sizes, you're not like Mitch Trubisky was, you know, 12 and four one year. Therefore, he was the best quarterback that year. I'm saying over time, I think they're 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 telling more stories than they're not. But but in Garoppolo's case, I I'm with you, right? I've almost always chalked up his success to his supporting cast, and now we've got a different supporting cast, a different world, and we're just curious to see what that all looks like. Okay. <laughs> I believe I've seen enough of Jimmy G that I'm not thoroughly interested in more Jimmy G data points. I am. I was interested in Nick Foles' data points when he went to Jacksonville. Mm. I was interested in it. But you got the, you know, still Devontae Adams, look. So here's the other, the other weird one, right? Derek Carr had his lowest grade last year since his rookie season. Josh McDaniels, right? He's supposed to, that's supposed to be his thing. Is it because McDaniel's system's too complicated? It's the adjustment? Did him and Carr just not get along well enough? Like, what was it? You know, McDaniels at least has a guy that he's worked with in the past, has a history with, with Garoppolo. Is that going to help with the Raiders? Can that help them overachieve? Because here's what I I think the offense will be good. I think the offense will be fine. Josh Jacobs, you know, comes back and plays and is happy enough. He was the leading rusher last year. There were games where he, you know, was their guy, actually carried them overtime you know walk-offs and the whole thing Devonte adams is still awesome it's the defense that scares me i mean the, the whole back seven is questionable so that's where i think they're going to be in trouble the raiders have they've been looking for playmakers on defense for 12 years now it seems so that's the big question i think the offense will be fine though yeah i mean it should be i i, I think that offensive line is better than it looks uh maybe on paper i think it was heading in the right direction anyway I mean, you know, Jimmy G is not a bad quarterback, whatever, about being out on needing more data points. Um, he's fine. So, yeah, the offense should be good. The defense, though, does look like an issue. I mean, it's Max Crosby, who's great. Outside of Max Crosby, it's like, eh, don't see too many other people that you're that interested in making a ton of plays. I mean, Marcus Peters is probably a solid pickup for them. Nate Hobbs back in the slot is a good thing for this defense. Jacorian Bennett, the rookie, I think has a lot of potential. Like his tape popped when you were watching uh, Maryland and when you were looking for, you know, the other corner at Maryland. Like he actually looks like he could be a find for them. Um, there's players that might surprise, but the overall collection is tough to see how that's going to be a good group. I think the best bet for the Raiders as far as overachieving goes, you mentioned Max Crosby as the star. Chandler Jones coming off his worst season in a while. Can he kind of recapture some of his previous self? He's getting you know a little old now. He was drafted in 2012. Uh, Malcolm Kuntz has had a nice little preseason, but then they draft Tyree Wilson in the top 10. He's coming off the foot injury. Haven't seen him on the field yet. If all of the defensive linemen come together, maybe that masks some of the issues, uh, you know, in the back end. But again, I just I don't. It's an intriguing defensive line. I just don't think it's enough. I really look at this roster. I just I, I can't get out of my mind that John Gruden in his second year, right? When you're going through this rebuild process, Gruden in his second year is like defense. We got to spend all of our time on defense. We don't have enough playmakers. We don't have enough players. And you're sitting here four years later. And it's even worse than it was back then. On paper, that's going to be a challenge. Going up against the Chargers, going up against the Chiefs, going up against Sean Payton and Russ. It's going to be tough on the defensive side unless, unless a lot of players step up for the Raiders. Yeah. no, I, I Including think, a Marcus Peters who right. you know, stays healthy late in his career and has one of those six or seven interception seasons. You know, that's what it's got to be. It's tough to find a compelling reason that that defense will be good even outside of the uh, looking at what it's – 
opposition is going to be within the division and, and the rest of their schedule. Anything nice to say about the Raiders before we leave here? <laughs> I mean, we said it. Like, the skill position players are really good. I mean, Devontae Adams is still as good as any receiver in the NFL. I'm not buying the idea that he's now in second place to Justin Jefferson. He's as good as it gets. Jacoby Myers was the poster child of being, like, a bad number one. But when he doesn't have to be that guy, when he can just be Jacoby Myers opposite Devontae Adams, that's a really good receiver to have. Hunter Renfro you know, is one of those uh, cheat code type players from the slot in certain route situations. If they get Josh Jacobs back in the building, you know, under contract, happy to go running back. Um, Trey Tucker is a trick play specialist. Right. Like, I didn't love Michael Mayer as a prospect, but he should be able to make some noise at tight end right away. Austin Hooper's there just in case he can't. And I could be wrong. Um, <laughs> it's a good group. Like, that should be productive. Yeah, that's right. I think, I think that'll keep the Raiders in games. You know, if Garoppolo stays healthy or if Aiden O'Connell just takes over and becomes the next top oh, Brady, that yes. is also a possibility. Right. If Aiden O'Connell shows back up in the regular season and continues to not have turnover with he plays, he might just be a great quarterback. All right. Over, under. For the Raiders. Under. Six and a half. Six and a half. That is quite a low figure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how many did they win last year? Six and 11 last year. Hmm. One of which was the Jacoby Myers, Ramondre Stevenson right. lateral Ridiculous play. play. That was um, one of their wins. All right, let's stay under because the AFC got tougher and they didn't get better. Oh, they do good. It's, they do a good job at setting these over-unders here because I do. can see them as a seven-win team mm. here. It's almost as, like Vegas knows what they're doing. It is. The man in Vegas. I'll say over. I don't remember what I've said for everyone else, but I'll say over for the Raiders. Definitely got to say over for the Chargers because they're up next, and it's another offseason. It's another year of optimism for the Los Angeles Chargers. Every year. Uh, they made it to the playoffs last year, lost to Jacksonville, blowing, what was the lead, 28? It was 28? Something, something like that, 24? It's a big lead mm. in the playoffs. That was months ago. Um, so bitter taste in their mouth. Brandon Staley heads into year three. Uh, it looked like our friend Zach Robinson was uh, very much in the mix to get the offensive coordinator job, and then Kellen Moore raised, and hit, raised his hand and said, uh, we're parting ways with the Dallas Cowboys. I'm available. Kellen Moore is going to take over as offensive coordinator for the Chargers. Yeah, they were 10-7 and seven last year, projected at 9.7 wins this year. They draft Quentin Johnston in the first round to add another big-bodied weapon for Justin Herbert. Herbert last year played with broken ribs. And uh, had a good season again. Not as good as he was in 21, but had a very good season. Gets paid this offseason over $52 million per year for Herbert. So now we're in this world where you can't spend as freely. But going into last year, the Chargers were spending freely. They were bringing in J.C. Jackson as the top free agent. They were trading for Khalil Mack. Those guys are still back. But you've got this underperforming defense. And Herbert heading into year four for the Chargers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the big... The big discussion point for the Chargers heading into the season is Justin Herbert plus Kellen Moore. What does that create? Um, and, of course, like, is there actually this mythical, theoretical extra percentage of Justin Herbert to be had in the first place? We've always kind of got the feeling that there was a little bit like Russell Wilson during his let Russ cook period in Seattle. Um but again, always confounding factors, right? It's complicated last year because the dude had his rib injury, torn cartilage, broken cartilage, whatever the hell it was. 
um, and that clearly impacted his play last season. But and that this sort of long-standing, well, it's probably the coaches, not Justin Herbert. So, what does this look like? Can Kellen Moore actually unlock the best version of Justin Herbert, and does that look like Joe Burrow, Patrick Mahomes, like the very best quarterback in the NFL? Because if it does, I mean that you know that's the reason we say that Kansas City is the prohibitive favorite every year because they have that guy. Mahomes is that guy every year. If Justin Herbert becomes that guy this year and really puts himself on that same plane, the hype for the Chargers that's there every offseason is absolutely legit. Yeah, for I hate repeating myself over and over, but you always have different listeners and stuff. So the the Herbert question is the the, the thing I'm wondering here across two different systems bottom five average depth to target guy we know he's got the big arm we know he could flip the field special throws highlight reels out of this world but there's a lot of dink and dunk to justin herbert's game and it's been true across two different systems kellen moore's job is essentially to get that out of him as you said the other person's job is probably quentin johnston right because we went into this offseason saying not only is herbert more conservative on paper right a low turnover worthy play guy a low average depth of target guy but also the Chargers are slow compared to the rest of the NFL. You bring in Quentin Johnston as a big, fast receiver to go with Mike Williams, who isn't really fast, but he's a contested catch specialist, so he's a downfield threat, right? Keenan Allen, who's a you know underneath threat, middle-of-the-field threat, intermediate threat, not that fast. Um, so you're bringing in a different dynamic. And there's also been those injuries at receiver and, of course, the injuries we said that Herbert was dealing with. So on paper, they have the pieces to attack every level of the field, to get more aggressiveness out of Justin Herbert and say, look, maybe you're going to throw a few more picks here and there, but we're also going to have a few more 40- and 50-yard completions, and we're going to flip the field as your ability, you have the ability to do. And instead of you know two special throws a, a, a week, make it three or four. And those are big. Like that's, that's the difference between three or seven points. And so that's what the Chargers are trying to do, and I think that's what they need to do. Lean into the aggressiveness. Let Herbert be special. Uh, a couple of years ago, they did a great job overhauling the offensive line, getting that back into a good spot. So I think the, you know, if you're in the Chargers front office and you're looking at, are we making the right moves year over year? I think they are. That's why we're always so excited about the Chargers every year. They're making the right moves. They're all looking good on paper. And they're continuing to do that. Again, I don't know if this is what gets them over the hump, if they're challenging the Chiefs or the division. I'm not sure they're there, but I think they're back in the playoffs. And if Herbert gets hot, as good a chance as anybody to just make a Super Bowl run. Yeah. I mean, that offensive line should be very good. Rashawn Slater looks like one of the best left tackles in the league when he's healthy. Zion Johnson, a rookie from a year ago, had some ups and downs year one, but I think has the chops to play. Corey Lindsley is still one of the best centers in the game when he's healthy. Jamari Sawyer impressed when he was playing left tackle a year ago. I think it might be a bumpy transition for him to go from left tackle to right guard, but you know we'll see how that goes. And then Trey Pipkins at right tackle is solid enough. That should be that that sum of that offensive line should amount to one of the better offensive lines in the game. In addition to you know the dynamic of everything else with that offense and Justin Herbert and the skill position players, so should be one of the better offenses in the NFL. All right, let's talk defense for a minute. This was supposed to be Brandon Staley's baby yeah they haven't been he they were outstanding the rams went under under brandon staley you know it was you know vic fangio tree and we're we're doing different stuff up front with our defensive line to steal gaps in the running game haven't seen much of that with the chargers or at least not the success 
and they've got the they've got the name recognition, right? We've got number three, the safety player mm. for the Chargers, who's awesome. We thought he was going to be a you know do it all player for Staley. He's been fine. He's battled his injuries, of course, as well. Um, bring in J.C. Jackson last year. Looked like a horrible scheme fit through a few weeks, then he's out for the season. We'll see if they can get J.C. Jackson back. The trade for Khalil Mack, and Mack has his worst season of his career. Joey Bosa is still there. Like the, the names on paper, they bring in Eric Kendricks this year, and he is, you know, even though he's getting older, still a good zone linebacker, knows what he's doing. My question with the Chargers, first off, none of those guys have played to their potential. Not one. So like in three years with Brandon Staley or two years with Brandon Staley, we haven't seen a career year from any of those guys. They all had better years elsewhere, somewhere else. That's a bit of a question for me. The other one is early in the year, the run defense was atrocious. That has been a consistent like 10-year issue for the Chargers. And even though they tried to bring in defensive tackles last year to shore that up, it still wasn't great. And we know that the pass game is more important than the run game, but you can't give up 200 yards in a game. Like You just can't have those games where you just get run over. And there's been a few of those for the Chargers. Can they actually fix that this season? Yeah, it's a really big year for Brandon Staley. I mean, obviously, he's going to be judged on wins and losses, but actually, he should be getting judged on that defense at the moment. Like, we're in a world where offensive coordinators, offensive coaches are the ones, generally speaking, being hired quickly immediately as soon as they show anything they're at the top of the head coaching searches and everybody wants the head coaching mind um so if you're going to be a defensive guy you're generally speaking hired off the back of the best defense in the nfl which he was the rams um which is the same thing for robert sala came from san francisco D'Amico ryan's after uh, following sala in san francisco like if you're being hired by the you need to be hired coming out of the best defense in the NFL, and then you need to bring that with you or some version of it. And right now he hasn't. I mean, that defense has been bad and it hasn't shown any real signs of looking better. And unlike a lot of other situations where that happens, it's not a lack of talent. Like they've got good players and they've added good players and it still hasn't gotten any better. So if you're a defensive head coach, how do you justify that? And whether it's Brandon Staley or you want to like pass the buck to his defensive coordinator who exists, you know, it's not it's not like a Kyle Shanahan thing where he's coach and coordinator officially. Um, Derek Ansley is the the defensive coordinator there. Somebody needs to fix that defense because it can't be this bad if you're a defensive minded coach. You need to actually show what you bring to the table, particularly for a scheme that is still like in vogue. This is still the defense everybody wants to run. This is still the scheme that everybody is looking for, so that needs to get better this year. The Khalil Mack issue, you know, when they traded for him before last season, of course, I, I like big-name players. You know, I think big-name players can be overrated a little bit in the NFL, but Mack seemed like, you know, he's still, he still could be very good. He was coming off an injury with the Bears. He was coming off his worst season. But he, his grades, 91, 92, 90, 90, 86, 92. He has a 73, dropped to 73 and 21, and that's when the Chargers traded for him. It looked like a buy low. Right. It didn't, you know, sometimes you think, well, Cliff falling off, but he's, he's in year eight. You know, it shouldn't have been a cliff for, for Khalil Mack. Hopefully it's not because, again, he replicated a similar performance last year, lowest grade of his career. That could be a big miss if yeah. that's what Khalil Mack is at this point of his career. But there's also a chance he gets back up to that level that he was previously 
because Von Miller did that, right? There was a point in Von Miller's career where it looked like, ah, he's maybe he's hit the wall. And then he, boom, bounced back up again with the Rams and with the Bills before he got hurt. But that's what the, that's what the Chargers need, right? I think they need – we talked about stars and scrubs and what Staley had with the Rams and building his defense around Aaron Donald and around Jalen Ramsey. They're trying to build this defense around stars. Joey Bosa missed most of last season. You need Joey Bosa, Khalil Mack, number three – you need those guys to play like stars. So that's the other element here, right, is in defense of Brandon Staley-ish, um, the Chargers have this ridiculous injury run, history, luck, whatever you want to call it. Like when we had Vic on the show talking about injuries, he made the point that in terms of number and frequency of injuries, the Chargers weren't actually that bad relative to other teams. They were middle of the pack somewhere, so not good but average, let's say. The problem was the players that they were losing were all of their best players. Right. So Joey Bosa is now looking like an injury-prone player. Khalil Mack has developed into an injury-prone player, having been bulletproof earlier in his career. J.C. Jackson goes down, like their big free agent acquisition. Okay, fine, he was playing like garbage before that happened, but, you know, big key player for them. The player, number three, the safety, whose name we must not mention, consistently injury-prone for the first couple of years of his career. Mike Williams constantly going down. Like, they're losing all of their best players to injury. That can happen. Like, how do you expect to have a good defense or, you know, a good unit of any description if all of your best players are the ones going down all the time? So that's the thing that somehow the Chargers need to get fixed. Either they need to discover what the hell is happening that our best players are constantly getting injured and fix that, right? Replacing the head of, of medicine and recovery and whatever the hell else, right? Finding what that is. Bubble wrap your superstars. Yeah, or simply hoping that that bounces back in your favor at some point. Like, you're, if, you're, if it's not a thing, right? If it's not, there's something wrong with the sports science element of this franchise and we are consistently screwing it up. If that isn't the case and they have simply been getting very unlucky for a very long period of time. At some point, that comes back in the other direction, and when that happens, you bounce back in a huge way. You need to tell your training staff, let it, uh, don't let Joey Bosa get hurt. It needs to be stone smart. When these lines Trey go... Trey McKitty, when they he, get hurt instead. When these lines go into the red, that's the signal to take them off the field. So, uh, look... I'm excited about the Chargers again for the 15th straight year yeah, because year. because the on-paper depth chart looks good. I think they continue to get incrementally better. And like I said, I think the, I think the front office has made the right moves. Let's see, see if this is the year where they could do a little bit more damage. The over-under for the Chargers, I believe it's 9.5. 9.5. Hmm. Over. Over. I'll never get burned by the Chargers. No, never. We're going why, over. Why would again. that happen? Uh, I'll go over. All right, ten, All right, ten wins. I can see that. Is that every team? Hmm. At least on this show. So soon. At least on this show. That's all eight teams. Is that two hours? Yeah. Look at that. Out of it. That's good. I expected we were going to be here till one. <laughs> we must have skimped on somebody. We apologize. I apologize if we skimped on your team. We probably forgot the Titans again. Did we forget someone? No, the Titans are next week. And since we just saw them in person, maybe we'll start with the Titans. Did I do that last year? I started with the Titans to make sure I didn't forget them. Probably, Probably yeah. did. Um, anyway, so that's the Chargers, and that's uh, the West done. So we're two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through the league. 24 out of 32 teams. We'll preview the rest of the league on Monday. That's the AFC and the NFC South. Uh, but for now, 
You're going to email us if you have questions or if you have bets. Our bet show, I think Labor Day might be good. we got to start teeing this up at the top. I can't bury it at the, the back I end know. of the Don't show. Don't your bets. We could also uh, we could put it on Twitter. We're two hours and five minutes into this. Everybody's wide awake, full energy. People are waiting for the next hour of the show Yeah. right now. We're going to reset, start hour number three of the show. NFL podcast at pff.com. Give us your, your strongest takes and bets for the season. And maybe you can win a PFF Plus subscription. Don't forget, last year a lot of people offered something, some collateral. Coffee, you know, other goodies. Coffee is a very good way. put something up, coffee is great. I'll drink all of it. It's a very good way of ensuring that your bet is one that we take. Correct. Yes, if you're going to put something up, we're more likely to take your bet, even if we don't believe it, because you have a chance to win. Yeah. So that's just, those are the rules. NFL podcast at pff.com. And uh, hit the thumbs up. On your way out and tell your friends. The PFF NFL podcast is uh, in full force. Full force. I'm done. Mm. I've had enough. See ya. All right. See you Monday.